It's a Saturday night, so that means that live from under the dome, it's the annual, semi-annual, or no, annual, second annual, that's the word I'm looking for, second annual kickoff show, um, and I'm your host, Alan, yeah, I think I do, uh, I'm your host, Alan Ulrich, with my, uh, somewhat lucid partner here, Sean Williams, uh, how you doing tonight, Sean? Man, I have looked forward to this day for so long, um, first of all, and this is the first time I actually get to say this with uh, present company actually included in it. Uh, we want to thank Productions for sponsoring our show. Uh, we want to invite you guys to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and on YouTube under the dome. And without any further ado, welcome, welcome, welcome to Life Inside the Electric Circus. Uh this is our second year to do this. We uh, we had so much fun last year doing it. Uh, and joining us tonight, we have a very, very special guest that I've really been looking forward to getting to meet and to talk with. Uh, he's the uh, New Orleans Saints beat writer for the New Orleans Times Picayune. Uh, before that, and we'll get a little further into his background shortly once we welcome him in uh herbie how are you doing tonight hey gentlemen i'm I'm doing well thanks and i'm pleased to be here under the dome with you guys i've heard a lot about your show and it seems like you guys have some fun here so i'm I'm looking forward to this awesome it's glad to have you here we're absolutely we're absolutely thrilled that we have uh, a new orleans saints beat writer here on the show um be a great opportunity for us to ask you some questions, especially given some of the latest news, uh, the long snapper having to have open heart surgery uh, that was totally unexpected. Uh, some of the roster moves have been making lately, the mystery involving uh, Stefan Anthony. Um, so absolutely welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. Hey, thank you so much for having me guys. Also on our panel for the first uh portion of the show we have as usual uh as uh, john butler said it's going to be we're going to have to start a new thing to where it's going to be a lot easier when we just announce when bob isn't going to be on the show than when he is uh third member of our uh our circle of power here if you want to call it that uh bob rose from canal street crunch Canal Street Chronicles, right? <laughs> Canal Street Chronicles, yes. Yes, Canal Street Chronicles. For some Street reason, Chronicles. that didn't sound right looking at Tony as I said it. Uh, also, from the Carolina Cat Chronicles, a member of Fan First Productions, our sponsors, very good friend of mine. Uh, if, you, if you need to know it about the Carolina Panthers, this is the man you need to talk to, the professor, Tony Don, how are you doing tonight, Tony? Of, there's a ton of chronicling going on tonight. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's jump in. Uh, I, I want to say this, and um, you know, we we strive. Uh, I'll put it that way. We strive on this show, on our Facebook page, on uh, that we do. We're about football, you know. So much political turmoil and strife going on in the world. Not about football for us. So 
you know, yeah, we have our opinions on that, but I, I think that does not include nearly often enough that put themselves in harm's way that defend this country to take it upon themselves to stand a post and protect my right to sit here in front of this camera and talk about New Orleans Saints football. That's relevant here because our guest tonight, Herbie Teope, had a 20-year or, or is it 20 exactly or 20 plus? Uh, I know you're going with this. Yeah, it was, it was exactly 20 years uh, Army active duty. And he was, and I'm sorry, Herbie, picturing your voice and the uh, the camera angle of you and John Katzenstein uh, standing next to one another. <laughs> The visual of being a drill sergeant escapes me. Not that I don't think you could do it, but uh, 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 and according to uh, to my research, he was a drill sergeant. He was an air defense artilleryman, a paralegal. Mm-hmm. I don't know how those all fit together, but. Uh, Thank you. First and foremost, thank you so much for your service to this country. And I appreciate it. It was an honor to serve. To be told you every day. Yeah, it was an honor to serve. And as far as being a drill sergeant, the the meanest drill sergeants were always the short guys like me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, as, As we alluded to a little while ago off air, Herbie is also an Emmy winner. Our first Emmy winner on the show. Kirby <laughs> had uh, no idea he was going to have his whole resume read out over the uh, <laughs> over the program. I'm just a regular guy, man. <laughs> into the spam filter. Um, moving in, going, getting right into this. What is the latest on that situation in New Orleans? For whom you, you got cut off there? Cut off there. Bross. Okay, yeah, well, with Doran Bross, obviously the, the Saints traded for him, sent the 2019 seventh-round draft pick for him to the Philadelphia Eagles. He showed up there, played in the preseason game, and then they actually did a, a follow-up physical earlier in the week, and they found a heart aneurysm. And so what the Saints ended up doing was they placed him on the NFI list, and Doran Bross needs open-heart surgery. Coach Payton talked to us today and basically said, hey – he has not yet had that heart surgery, but he is on the NFI list. And I saw the NFL transactions reports before I came on the show here. And it looks like the Saints already released him from that. There are a lot of things at play here because the Saints did send a seventh-round draft pick to the Eagles. And because this is a pre-existing situation here, a pre-existing condition, what's probably going to end up happening eventually is that trade will be rescinded and the Saints will, will retrieve that draft pick back. Okay, that, that's pretty much what I was interested in knowing. Is the trade going to be uh, nullified now because of the pre-existing condition? Yeah, and obviously there are a lot of bigger things at play here because you want to, you know, you definitely want to wish John Dornboss the best because this is something that was absolutely life-threatening if they didn't catch that. And if not for the trade, here's the crazy thing, if not for the trade, they would have never discovered that condition. So this was a blessing in, so, in, a, in a way because that 
They found it, and now they know what they need to do. Unfortunately for the Saints, you know, now they're on their sixth long snapper of the year, and I don't think I've ever seen that before in all my years of covering an, an NFL team, even from the Chiefs. I've never seen six long snappers since since the start of the year to, to where the Saints are now. Right. They exactly. they signed for or they signed uh, Wood yep, from Zach the Wood, Cowboys. Zach Wood, Zach Wood. Zach Wood. Do you have any sort of uh, read on him? Well, he he addressed the media today in the locker room. Unfortunately, I had to go take the coordinator, so I was not in the locker room there. Uh, but Sean Payton did talk about him when he when he addressed us, and they liked the kid. Uh, we had an opportunity to talk to special teams coordinator Bradford Banta, a former long snapper himself in the NFL, and he likes the kid. So I think he's going to be in a good situation. The, the unfortunate thing here is the chemistry that you need between the kicker the punter, the holder, and the long snapper. So they only have two days to get that down. So this this is something to watch against the Minnesota Vikings yeah, we, on Monday night. Yeah, we saw <clears throat> we saw a little bit of that uh, in the preseason game. Uh, the one preseason game uh, John did play in uh, on that block kick uh, for Will Lutz. They were going over the fact that that snap was a little late and a little low, and that partially played into – disrupting Lutz's rhythm and it allowed a block. So, yeah, we, we uh, I definitely understand that. Listen, this is the second Saints player we've seen uh, having to go in with a heart condition. Uh, Nick Fairley was the first one. Was this very similar to Fairley's issue where they did the physical, they found something, and they brought him in for a follow-up? Or is this, or is fairly completely different? Because I know he had a pre-existing condition. Yeah, Fairley's condition is completely different because remember they they discovered his enlarged heart at the NFL Scouting Combine when he came into the draft. So they've they've always been aware of his situation, but he's always been given the green light. He's healthy enough to play until just recently when he had to go through a more battery of tests. With, with okay. John Dornbos. We're talking about a, a player who was entering his 15th or 16th professional season, and they just discovered it. So it's two completely different things. Well, if you read the Twitter first, though, it's like the Saints are leading the league in players with heart conditions. Um, so that's and, and you have a lot of people who are who are questioning, I guess, the Saints doctors and the trainers not picking this up sooner or picking it up before they sign fairly to that contract extension. Um, and as I keep reminding people, the Saints doc, team doctors are not cardiologists. They're not, they're not hired to detect heart problems and diagnose heart problems. They do basic physicals in that regard. So I'm just curious, it, what was the timeline, I guess, for Fairley's condition then? Do you, do you know? Uh, has Peyton talked much about that? No, because they can't really get too much into it because of HIPAA laws. And so when you have the HIPAA laws there, and if the patient himself is not granting others authorization to discuss or give the details of his specific condition, you're not going to get that information. So whenever we ask Sean Payton or even Mickey Loomis during the summer months, is there a chance for Nick Fairley to eventually play again? You know, they, they, they often deflect that question because they can't get into specifics. Okay. Okay. I totally understand. Uh, one other injured player, uh, Stephon Anthony. What? Um, what? First off, what injury does he have, and is there any kind of timeline for him to come back? Because we're hearing rumors everywhere from a high ankle sprain to a broken ankle 
to, you know, people speculate concussion related. Do you have any idea what, um, what the injury is and what kind of timeline are we looking at before you can come back? Well, we're looking at an ankle injury. Okay. And here's the deal. It's, it's good news that he was actually on the practice field for the past three days. He's participating in okay. the stretching and conditioning portion, and he, he actually participates in individual drills. Now, with the media, they usually kick us out of there once they go through stretching, conditioning, and individual drills. But what you see there with the limited tag in the injury report is he's able to participate in some portions of practice. The fact that he is out there in pads and going through those early portions of practice is a good sign that he probably will come back sooner than later. Sean Payton told us at the end of the preseason, close, end quote, which, of course, I'm starting to learn since I've been on that on this beat. That could be anywhere between a month and six months. Exactly. But, you know, it is encouraging that he's out there. Yeah, uh, you have an easier time getting secret out of the Kremlin than you are getting uh, injury news out of Sean Payton. He comes straight from that Bill Parcells school of, uh, I'm only going to tell you what you need to know, not what you want to know. Um, finally, Teron Armstead, um, what does the timeline look like for his return? Do you have any idea on that one? Well, I'll tell you this much with him, and this is a very encouraging sign. The, the fact the Saints did not place Armstead on the physically unable to perform list, also known as the PUP list, to start the year is a good sign that he is also going to be back sooner than later. Remember, he had surgery back in June to repair a torn labrum in the shoulder, and the initial timetable was anywhere between four to six months, six to eight months, which would have put him returning back in November. Right. He's not on the pup right. list now. So that's a good sign that he's probably going to be back here really, really soon. He's also out there at practice. He's also participating in the stretching conditioning portion, although he's not in pads, but he's out there with the team. So he's not missing too much outside of repetitions on the practice field. Herbie, let me good. ask you this. Um, have you have you heard anything that even remotely timeline on Delvin Bro? Well, we talked to Delvin Bro today, and, and it was pretty fascinating. We actually put a – I wrote an article. That's why I was telling you, hey, text me at 730 because I'm on a deadline. That was actually the story I was <laughs> writing was Delvin Bro. <laughs> he's on injured reserve, okay? So the fact that he's on injured reserve, in the course with the NFL rules, he has to be on injured reserve for at least six weeks. And then after that six-week period, after the team evaluates him and determines that he is healthy enough to practice, he has to put in two weeks of practice before he's activated to the the active roster, which puts his timeline at week nine, barring a setback. He told us today that, look, he is going to go with the timeline the doctors tell him. He's not going to start running early. He wants to follow the rehabilitation process to a T because this is the same leg that he injured last year. We're talking about the left leg here. But – so the earliest yeah. you can expect him back is week nine, barring a setback. Awesome. Good deal. Uh, Good deal. A couple of In your opinion, did bro, uh, did bro push it by coming back a little bit too early last year? Uh, you referred to the, to the timeline and that he's going to stick to it. Uh, did that, did that help accelerate uh, a, wor- a worsening injury this, uh, that he's dealing with right now? And that's a fair question. That is a very fair question. I think a lot of y'all w- would, would agree with me when I say this. Now, granted, I did not cover the Saints before 2016, but I've, I've watched tape on the guy and I've heard a lot about him. But when he got hurt and he came back, he was not the same Delvin bro that a lot of Saints fans, media were accustomed to seeing. So 
maybe he did push it back. And there's a reason why he ended the season on injured reserve after another injury occurred, but it wasn't to the fibula. So I think, you know, when you try to rush a player back, especially from a fractured fibula, and I'm no doctor, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express a few times in my life. You don't want to push yourself because you have to take care of your body. Your body knows what's going on. And, and, and bro told us today, that's one of the reasons why he had to go, go get a second opinion because he knew something was wrong. You know, the, the Saints doctors were telling him one thing, but the second opinion that he got showed the fractured fibula again. So you listen to your body. Good deal. Good deal. Um, so, Harvey, you got anything from behind enemy lines? <laughs> I want to know uh, just ultimately how – how you think that the coaching staff wants to use that running back combination because, um, you know, you got Sean Payton who has only one year in his entire career ever fed a running back. And then the next year, Mark Ingram got paid and they went away from that. And then they go out and get a guy that to me, I see, I see is a lot of duplication of talent, but maybe I don't know these guys well enough. So how do you foresee that running back group working out, especially with Sean Payton? That's also a good question. Here's the deal. I know like for fantasy folks, folks in the fantasy football, it's a nightmare trying to figure out who you want. But, you know, the NFL doesn't care about fantasy when it comes to wins and losses. I think the Saints will look to run the football a little bit more this year. Think about the, the upgrades they made on the offensive line. When you bring in a guy like Larry Warford, sign him as a free agent, and Warford, his reputation in Detroit was a mauler. This guy could block. Max Unger is a mauler. Andrus Pete, now that he's settled in at left guard, can be a mauler as well. You got Ingram. You got Adrian Peterson. You toss in a dynamic player like Alvin Kamara. You've got a lot of things you can do there in the backfield. Kamara mm-hmm. is not necessarily a guy that you can also keep in the backfield. He can line up in the slot. You can split him out wide. All throughout training camp, we're watching him go against linebackers, and he's making them look foolish. Because you, you you put a linebacker on Kamara, Breeze is going to exploit that. But when you think about the Saints in, in, the, in the quest to try to find some kind of balance, this is the year I think you can do it when you have two proven 1,000-yard rushers back there in Mark Ingram and Adrian Peterson, and Kamara is your joker, a jack-of-all-trades who can do a lot of the things that the Saints haven't had since Reggie Bush or even Darren Sproles. Good deal. Good deal. So, Herbie, what as a kind of an overview, how do you see them using um, the wide receivers and the running backs in this game against Minnesota? You know, here's the deal with this thing. Even though Sean Payton and we also had a chance to talk to uh, Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator, they don't want to, like, feed into Adrian Peterson's uh, storyline of him returning home. So this isn't a situation where they're going to try to give Adrian Peterson 20 to 30 touches in the game. They're going to stay within what they do best. Problem is they what they do best is pass the football, and you're running into a Minnesota right. Vikings team that ranked fifth last year in sacks. They had 41 on the year. I think they ranked ninth against or third against the pass, excuse me. So this is strength on strength here. But the fact now that you have Adrian Peterson, you know, goes back to the question earlier. How can you stack the box here? You stack the box, Drew Brees will kill you. If you stay back because you know he's passing the football, now all of a sudden you open up the running lanes because you can't. The Saints offense this year is going to be very difficult to defend, in my opinion, because they just have way too many moving pieces 
even without Willie Sneed. You know, Tommy Lee Lewis had a very, very strong training camp and preseason. So if, if you want to attack the Minnesota Vikings, I think you just go right at their strength because you have the strength to do it. Okay. That I have a question on that specifically. Okay, go ahead, Tony. Okay, I'm, Tony. Coming, I'm coming after this from a fantasy football perspective. <laughs> Will Sean Payton, though, feed Adrian Peterson on the goal, goal line against his old team? I mean, I feel like that's something you would do if that event arose just because AP, everybody's been critical about him from Minnesota and downward. Would you could you see Sean Payton not adjusting the game plan, but at least in this one game making him the goal line back? And that's you know, I'd probably I'd probably say that that would probably be the thing to do, but I also wouldn't be surprised at all if John Kuhn scored. <laughs> Think about the game oh. last year in San Diego. <laughs> Kuhn had what two two, three touchdowns. I was like, where, where is this coming from? I I think what Sean Payton will do is just play within the game plan. But if the situation came up where you can get Adrian Peterson an easy touchdown, why not? You know, he's, he's returning home. He, meet, he meant so much to that team. He's their all-time leading rusher, and they decided to let him go. Why not rub it in their face? Hey, I'm, I'm still Adrian Peterson. But I'm not the coach. Okay, well, I agree with you. I would do it. Tony, I can guarantee I like your idea, though. Tony, I can almost guarantee you Peterson would get at least one TD in this game. <laughs> uh, I can almost guarantee yeah. that. Absolutely. Uh, Herbie, let me ask you this. Um, you you alluded to, uh, a moment ago to uh, to Willie Sneed. Mm-hmm. What do you see as being the the contingency plan here for the three game suspension that Sneed has to serve? Have you heard anything as to what they're looking at? Maybe bringing Coleman in, or or, or excuse me, moving Coleman up in the pecking order, so to speak. Uh, could you speak on that just a, just a little bit? Yeah, the, the beauty of the Saints wide receiver core is going to go back to Alvin Kamara. Kamara is a guy you can line up in the slot. You know, Coleman, yes, Coleman receives a bump. Tommy Lee Lewis receives a bump. I don't. I cannot see Austin Carr being active in week one when you consider that he was claimed off waivers right after Labor Day weekend. But the four wide receivers who will probably be up will be Ted Ginn Jr., uh, Michael Thomas, Brandon Coleman, and, and, and Tommy Lee Lewis. But you don't necessarily have to overreach to find some someone out of the last two wide receivers to play the slot when you got a guy like Kamara who can line up there. Remember in training camp, they were moving Kamara all over the place. So this is a guy, you know, if you need a slot receiver in a pinch and have Adrian Pearson and Mark Ingram in the backfield at the same time, guys, this is going to be fun to watch Monday night. I'm really looking forward to seeing what kind of offensive packages they roll out there. Okay. Well, then I'm going to have to ask the, uh, the, the elephant in the room. Uh, how do you see the defense playing now? Because you talk about the offense, the Saints' offense playing against the Viking strengths. How do you see the Saints' defense matching up with the Vikings? Well, I think if you look at what they did in preseason, and yes, I know it's preseason, so it's, it's kind of hard to hang your hat on preseason all the time, but but you can take some encouragement from that. I think the fact that even in training camp and some of the stuff that we saw with joint practices, the fact that they are flying to the football, they are aggressive. The fact that they're now able to apply pressure on the opposing quarterback. Granted, they didn't play Phillip Rivers. They, they didn't play as team starting quarterbacks. But this defense, when you look at what they did and what they can become, it, it is certainly an improvement from the last few years where the defense has ranked at or near the bottom of the league in numerous defensive statistical categories. With the Vikings – 
I think of their offense kind of like a stopgap. They're not necessarily going to scare people, you know. So I think this it, it's a good a good solid test for the Vic, excuse me for the Saints defense to get off on the right foot. I think they'll do fine. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, yeah, we got two ex Panthers on the team. Uh, we have Ted Kinn Jr. Uh, and we also have uh, AJ Klein. And Klein is actually be playing more of the strong side than he will middle linebacker, which ostensibly we all thought he was being signed to play that position. Uh, so it, I think it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting matchup. And I agree with you. What we saw in preseason. When they threw the dump-off passes for four or five yards, the Saints defense was there and stopped them at four and five yards. In previous years, we were giving up a lot of yards after the catch. Um, so a four or five-yard pass would turn to an eight and ten-yard pass to give them the first down. So that trend continues. I think we will have a much improved defense. Um, if I can add one more thing to that, because I actually sure. wrote about I wrote about this the other day. I had a chance to talk to Sterling Moore, uh, Von Bell, and also Kenny Vaccaro, and, and just discussing specifically the pass defense. And I love the quote Von Bell said. Von Bell basically said, we are taking the mentality where enough is enough. They know that the pass defense over the years has held the team back. And so what the message was, we're now attempting to become a better group. One of the things I also like throughout training camp is they want to incorporate more press man scheme. And I think that's – you need to do that in today's NFL. You have to bump those wide receivers off the line of scrimmage and disrupt their routes. So I think you're going to see something. And then the fact that they're also in the second year in Dennis Allen's scheme. But, you know, they are relatively healthy this year. So – and you got a guy like Marshawn Lattimore. So there's only one way to go, and that's up. Well, yeah, and you mentioned an important cog to that offense. You mentioned Marshawn Lattimore. This team is going to rely on at, at least uh, five, if not si- all six uh, draft picks this year to not only, you know, make a play but contribute heavily, uh, well, yeah. whether it's Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams. Um, we even saw the sixth-round pick. Uh, you mentioned Kamara before. But the sixth-round pick, uh, Muhammad, has even was like the Saints' Mr. August. So I think that's going to be an interesting combination in this defense, how these rookies fit in, how many mistakes they make, how many plays they make. Uh, Comment a little bit about this this draft class, because it seems like Jeff Ireland has really turned around one of the the biggest problems this Saints team has had, a lousy draft class. And you also – Alex Anzalone, don't forget about that guy, the linebacker. We're talking about a rookie linebacker yes. who's now all of a sudden the number two guy at the weak side linebacker position and in certain packages will actually be out on the field with the ones. You have to be excited about this draft class because you're absolutely correct. They are going to see the field a lot this year. Ryan Ramchek, 32nd round pick overall, you know, first round for the Saints there, he's going to start off at left tackle while Teron Armstead recovers. Marshawn Lattimore is going to see a lot of playing time. Marcus Williams, I love that guy. This guy, Marcus Williams, is a playmaker back there. He, he is, he's always seems to be where the ball is, and he, he's flying to it. He's that free safety that Jairus Bird should have been. This is a guy that, that the Saints absolutely love. Uh, Al-Kadim Muhammad, the six-round draft pick, he had a sack in every single preseason game. You, you can't beat that. Trey Hendrickson is going to be involved with the defensive line rotation. So all your draft picks are going to be playing this year. Good deal. Good deal. You know, I, 
I, I've done interviews and so on and so forth over the past couple of weeks talking about this and talk about the defense. Everybody jump. Everybody is really quick to jump up and say, "No, no, it's preseason. Uh, you, you, this is the same Saints." Yeah, it's the preseason, but I believe that in the preseason, you're you're testing things, you're you're looking at limits, you're evaluating talent, but more than anything else, you are setting the tone for where the direction that you're wanting to go once the season starts. And I think that this year. Uh, more than any year in recent memory for the New Orleans Saints, that has been paramount for this defense. Yeah, you have to you have to be encouraged by what you saw because you know what you had the last few seasons. When you see what they've been doing throughout August in training camp and in preseason and in joint practices, you have to be encouraged. Granted, we all understand preseason doesn't count. You, you know, this is kind of like when it matters, now show me. I will say this because I always make this this comparison. When I got here, obviously you guys know, and most of the Saints Saints fans now know that I used to cover the Chiefs. It was kind of crazy because in Kansas City they always had the stout defense. It was the offense that was holding them back. I come here to New Orleans; it's the complete opposite. You know, you've got Drew Brees at quarterback. You've got one of the elite offenses in the National Football League, and it's the defense that holds them back. I think if you take the Chiefs defense and the Saints offense, Drew Brees probably has about five Super Bowl rings by now. But you have to be encouraged by what you see with this group right now. Dennis Allen and his staff, it looks like they, they got the guys believing the way they want to go. So you have to be encouraged by the unit. Yeah, you uh, you definitely should have been here in the 80s because the Saints offense in the 80s was very much like the Chiefs offense back then. All defense, <laughs> no offense. Well, Kirby, I appreciate – we appreciate you being on the show tonight. Um, as always, great insights. Uh, do you have a prediction for the uh, game tomorrow, uh, Monday night? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy because the time's picking you and all the staff members have to do their picks, and I think uh, I may have been the only one to pick the Saints win. I got the Saints winning 27-20. to 20. Good deal. I like that. I like that. <laughs> um, well, once again, thank you for being on the show. Um We'd love to have Kirby. you back. Uh, bring you on after after a game, and we can uh, we can kind of do the post mortem or the victory celebration if we're going to be optimistic. Kirby, hey, if you don't mind, uh, let everyone know. Let all of our uh, our listeners and followers out there let them know how they can follow your work and keep up with what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You can always find my work at nola.com, which is the Times Picayune website, or you can follow me at Twitter at Herbie and H-E-R-B-I-E and then T-O-P-E spelled T-E-O-P-E. As far as my first name is concerned, I do not drive a Volkswagen Beetle, so Herbie's not going bananas. Well, that's a disappointment. (laughs) Herbie, man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here with us tonight. Uh, Thanks for being our headliner guest on our uh, our second annual season kickoff show. Thank you for having me. Next time I know to bring an angry orchard instead of water. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Here's to you. <laughs> Thanks, Herbie. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, Herbie. Okay. So, Sean, now we're all set for the uh, for the kickoff portion yeah, of the program. Let's, uh, we're going to move. I'll let you in. 
I was going to let you go ahead and start contacting everybody while we'll talk a little bit about what happened Thursday night uh, with the Patriots uh, because that was the first game of the season. How many of y'all were surprised by the fact that the uh, Patriots lost that game? Actually, I can put, I can screenshot. I went uh, on the ESPN fantasy thing. They had this deal where you can pick games and all. Uh, picked uh, the Chiefs to win. I really did. Man, shush, shush. No. <laughs> All right. Look, is that we? I, I mean, are are we surprised? I mean, it's kind of one of those things. It's like the Indians right now. The Indians have won, reeled off like seventeen straight wins. And how do you? I mean, how do you pick against them? And at the same time, you know, it has to end at some point. But look, the Patriots, they've uh, won at home every game that Tom Brady has played in since 2006, 2006, that's 11 years of home. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um, if you bet Tony, against me- the Patriots, it would be bizarre, but I think it tells <laughs> us a lot about the Kansas city chiefs. Yeah. Tony, let me ask you this. You be, you being outside the narrative that we're speaking of here. Uh, you're not a Patriot and you're not a, a saints fan, either one. Skew, which would, if you were the in the position of the New Orleans Saints, which would you rather, a New or- a New England team, the way that they did Thursday night, or doing what everyone in the f- English speaking world was sure they were going to do and bounce Kansas City, which would be the better position to be in? Because from what I can see, uh, most Saints fans. It was a no-win deal there because if the if New England had walked off with that victory, they'd have said, "Oh no, man, they look unstoppable." And now they're all like, "Oh man, uh, New England got beat. They're going to be mad." So, which is the 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 more enviable position to be in right now? For oh, the it's New very Orleans simple. Saints? Is I don't care if any New England Patriot fan is mad in their entire life. I hate the Patriots, and I'm glad to see them lose. I'd like to watch it again. And, and I mean, look, the Patriots in the 2003 Super Bowl. Um, you know what? As we're, I'm tired of seeing the Patriots, all right? So um, is the only team I dislike more in the NFL more than the Patriots is the Atlanta Falcons. Oh. So oh, the Falcons you were who just showed up. <laughs> And with that, we want to welcome Josh Schultz to the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear me okay? Uh, Absolutely. Good. Uh, Absolutely. Let's see. There's one, two, three, four, five. David Harrison has joined us, too. Yes, sir. How you guys doing? Doing good, David. David. Uh, we're going to get formal introductions along the way here in a moment. Uh, missing our uh, our C3 brothers. I'm here uh, holding it down until they get here. Just power on. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, uh, we've got – actually, we uh, we ran a little long on that segment, but um, this this guy was an, a very, very good guest get that we uh, we got to do our uh, our kickoff show, and I wanted to, uh, to give him as much time as we could. Um, need to go through and, and make introductions. Uh, 
on my computer screen at the far left, uh, wearing an Alabama hat. You got two strikes against you already because you're wearing an Alabama hat That's and you're representing the Atlanta hat. Falcons. That's a Braves hat. Yeah. It's not a Braves That's hat. A brave. Actually, it is an Alabama hat. What? Mm-hmm. That's the wrong A to be a Braves. You should be able to tell by the A. <laughs> Yeah. Oh gosh. A little bit, a little foolish, a little bit. But uh, hey, it's not my fault that I like the two best teams in the world. You know, I just, just the way it is. I, I, I guess you became a Falcons fan I'll, last year. Exactly. I'll, 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 I'll give you the Alabama. Covering the Atlanta, covering the Atlanta Falcons for ProFootballSpot.com, we have Josh Schultz, a new father. Yes. Thank you. How's that little, how's the little man doing, man? Doing great. He's already a big uh, Falcons and Alabama fan, so it's going well. <laughs> well, you, you can always hope he grows out of it. Oh, is this your first child? <laughs> it really just became one, too. Oh, I, I recognize that voice. Uh, Tampa What's Bay our, Buccaneers. Uh, we have one of our uh, not exactly uh, uh, but Probably our next most tenured guest on this show, David Harrison, who, who writes for Pro Football Spot covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and also the Pewter Plank, correct? Yes, sir. There's, I've been on so many of those Tampa Bay uh, podcasts, I, I have a hard time remembering all the different names. But Pewter Plank, if you guys uh, – if you guys have an opportunity, check out their work. They're they're awesome. Uh, how you doing tonight, David? Uh, I'm doing great. And since we're uh, representing college teams, let me just go ahead and throw that up on the screen there for a minute. I'm glad everybody. Hey, hey you giving us? They're giving us a lot of good players right now. I can there think of, go. We got three Ohio yeah. State guys. That you got to be happy with, well, right? Absolutely. Uh, I left my OU hat in there, and right now it's the third quarter. 10-10. Yep, 10-10. Uh, moving right along. <laughs> I, I I really uh, – I don't know where to start with these other two guys. Uh, they uh, they gave us our start. Uh, these are so that <laughs> some of my closest friends. Uh, we taught you how to use YouTube. We're the ones that blame for That's this. That's it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> All right, uh, my Dunn. name's Tony Dunn, and I'm from Carolina Cat Chronicles, and I'm here with my bus bud, Joe Riolano. That is me. I'm the one that's saving you all by not having my face up here. I've got a face made for radio, <laughs> so that's why I have Cam's, Cam Newton's picture up there, so you can so you can look at the 2017 NFL MVP. Oh God! How much worse can you know, be than Cam Newton? <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, no. No. So much for joining us. Uh, as a note, I, I, I want to say real quick uh, before we go any further, hearts and prayers and thoughts go out to all of those people. Our panel of guests included are being affected not only by Hurricane Harvey that has come and gone and left all that destruction, but also Hurricane Irma that is just now rearing its ugly head in Florida and up the East Coast. Uh, 
I know that there are guys on our panel here tonight that are going to be affected by this. Uh, we want to let everyone know you can go to 1-800-RED-CROSS, make a contribution to hurricane relief, uh, and we strongly urge all those that are able to do so to do. Um, and to all you guys that are in, uh, in the path of this storm, you guys, please stay safe. Let's on with the show. All right. Well, David's got a uh, unexpected bye week this week um, because of the storm. <laughs> one more, one more okay. thing. Okay. One more my transmission, man. I know, <laughs> man. We're we're a loose knit group. Uh, okay. We had one more guest that was scheduled to be here tonight, and uh, due to this storm and uh, circumstances beyond their control, absolutely. Gene is not going to be able to join us tonight, or maybe he might join us a little a little bit later. Be uh, everything we uh, we're remembering Gene and our our thoughts and our prayers, and uh, praying for the best for he he and his family. Yeah, and David anyway, is, David is up in New York. Am I correct, David? You're you're in New York. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah about as far uh, as you can get away from it right now. Right, exactly. Whereas uh, Gene from Buck, what you heard, uh, is actually in Tampa. Uh, I believe he has a no, son. no. Gene is actually in Arizona. Uh, Arizona. Yes, that's right. That's right. But he has a son that's in Tampa, correct? Yes, his son. Okay, his son is in Tampa. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Good deal. Uh, and and he's he's dealing with that right now. But Absolutely. hey, we uh we got the man's back. He's a he's a member of our family here, and boy. well, let's let's start off like we say, going around going around the horn a little bit. We'll kind of get a thumbnail sketch from each of you guys uh, about your, your respective teams and how do you think you're going to do this year. And we're going to start off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because you know they have that unexpected buy, so now they're going to have to go back to. I believe it's been since 2000 or 2001 was the last time that the NFL did not have a bye week. And they're going to be playing 16 weeks straight now. Um, so, David, give us a kind of a thumbnail review of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what to look forward to. What are your concerns about the team this year? Because uh, it seems to be that's like everyone's – favorite pick right now to kind of take that next step and go to the playoffs for the first time since 2008. Yeah, there's a lot of hype surrounding the Buccaneers this year, and I think it's well-deserved. They've had a lot of good pieces to the team, and, uh, you know, if they, if they can all gel the way that we all hope they will, then the team should definitely take a step forward. Now, whether or not that will lead to a playoff berth is uh, still to be determined, and whether or not they can take the NFC South title from the Falcons or the Saints or the Panthers for that matter, uh, you know, is still obviously to be seen. And with the bye week coming in week one now because of Hurricane Irma, you know, 16 straight regular season games without a break is not uh, desirable. You know, I don't think any NFL player is going to stand up and raise their hand and volunteer for that schedule. But just like Jameis Winston said when he was asked about it by the local media, um, they get played to play. they get paid to play football, and that's what they're going to do. 
And at the end of the day, the safety of the players, the family members, the staff, their family members, you know, was more important to the franchise than playing a football game and getting a bye week in November instead of September. And I think the Dolphins, you know, uh, I don't know a lot of Dolphins media, but I'm pretty sure they probably echoed the same sentiment. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's what it is, and that's what it's going to be, and the team's just got to go out there and execute. It's not an excuse. Nobody's going to give them a break. Nobody's going to lay down and say, okay, we'll, we'll give you a win since you didn't get a bye week. It's the NFL, and they're going to go out there, and you're going to earn every inch, every yard, every touchdown, every win. Uh, so it is what it is. Sorry, okay. I didn't mean to send that to you. Um, let me ask you this. This storm right now is projected to cross mm-hmm. over Tampa. Uh, with the eye basically either just brushing the coast or staying over the water. So you're not only going to be on the wet side of the storm, but you're probably get a lot of wind too. Um, what kind of contingency plans, I know you really can't answer this, but what kind of contingency plans do you suspect could happen, say Tampa Stadium is damaged where they can't play games? Yeah, there's some questions on that. And there was actually some Twitter traffic on that uh, a little bit earlier today. You know, uh, the storm is has kind of, of shifted. You know, earlier in the week and, and last week, the focus was really on Miami and kind of how how is the city of Miami going to be able to withstand everything uh, with some of the issues they've already had this year. But now it's really kind of the, the dialogue has kind of shifted to Tampa. And I know, uh, you know, the Pewter Report guys uh, are, are some of our friends uh, who, who cover the Buccaneers. Uh, very, very, uh, very well. And they've all, they've all evacuated Tampa, you know, um, head coach Dirk Cutter mentioned earlier in the week when the game got postponed that, you know, he was hanging out in Tampa, he wasn't going to be leaving, but now, you know, I don't know if his plans have changed either. Um, some mm-hmm. players have, have gone on, on Twitter, on social media and talked about how they've left the area, you know, so there's definitely some concerns. And right now their contingency plan is to move to Georgia for team operations and practices next week, hoping that they can get a home game in. But, uh, you know, if, if the, if the stadium were to be damaged, you know, to where the team couldn't play, I'm not sure right now what their plan would be. Um, I think obviously we'd have a situation similar to uh, the Saints and Giants where, you know, the, the game is obviously going to have to get moved. I don't know if that means it goes to Chicago. I don't know. You know, I don't know if the Falcons are at home week two or not. Maybe they play in Atlanta. I don't, you know, as of right now, I don't know if anybody has really thought that far ahead, uh, you know, but we should know in the next 48 hours or so, I would think, whether or not Raymond James Stadium is going to be able to host a home game in uh, in a little over a week. Yeah, yeah, because it's supposed to play the Bears in the 17th. I'm looking at the schedule right now, and I'm, I'll be honest with you. I don't wish a 2005 Saints team on anybody. Uh, will you play all your games away from your own city? Uh, we split half and half with uh, LSU and Baton Rouge, and they evacuated San Antonio, and we played four games, I think, in the uh, Alamo Dome. So, yeah, that if Tampa would have to go through something like that because of that kind of level of damage, you know, that that, that it's horrible. Uh, the Saints are practicing in high school uh, parking lots, high school uh, football fields and stuff. It was a miserable, miserable experience, and it contributed greatly to that three and thirteen season. Um, so, yeah, I think you know, there's not many obstacles really facing Tampa Bay, and it sounds silly because silly. of the amount of destruction we're probably looking at in the state of Florida. But you know, you have a team that looks like it's on paper very promising to take that next step, but you know whether or not this hurricane really 
impacts the fortunes of the franchise uh, remains to be seen. And I hope and I pray that that doesn't happen to you guys. I'm sitting here looking at, at everything and looking at these icons across the bottom of my screen, and I'm just now realizing that the New Orleans Saints may, as far as Irma goes, team in the division that is not affected by this hurricane. That's true. That is true. Because Atlanta could be looking at this because of the uh, if they if Tampa is located in that area, they have to relocate in that area. You know, uh, Carolina, of course, if the storm does manage to turn back eastward, could be affected by it. So, but right now I'm seeing more. I was looking at the plots uh, earlier. I'm looking at it more going into Tennessee and uh, the the Chattanooga, Memphis area. So. But that all remains to be seen. I'm curious, Tony and Joey, uh, what has Carolina done to address the uh, the defense in this offseason? Joe, you take it. Um, well, they did a few things. They uh, brought in Julius Peppers. Um, they re-signed Mario Addison, who was the team leader in sacks last season. Uh, they brought in some secondary help. Uh, Mike Adams. In the form of Mike Adams, um, who is moving to strong safety. That will allow uh, Kirk Coleman to move back to free safety, which is more of a natural position for him. Um, so they definitely they brought in Captain um, Munnerin, who well, I should say brought him back. Um, he's had he's experienced some level of success uh, in that Panthers defense. So they have solidified um, the defense. We would like a little more depth in the secondary. And they did address that by uh, making a trade and picking up, um, was it two trades, Tony? It was just one trade, right? What's that? For the depth in the secondary? Oh yeah, we uh, we went after um, it was two. We went yeah, uh, yeah. one uh, waiver wire pickup, I think, and one was a right. trade. Trade one was Buffalo a trade. for a guy that nobody's going to know, including me, as well <laughs> as someone else from Cincinnati that no one knows as well. Our our secondary is thin. Yeah, it's thin to win, and that is that we need it to work the way it is. But it's never been our strength. Our, our players have gotten older, a year older. So what we, what we had last year that got torched early in the year um, is is gotten a year older. But we also added Captain Munderland to mm-hmm. play the nickel position. And so the nickel position, I think, is the most underrated position in football uh, in today's NFL. I think it's become one of the most important defensive positions based on the fact that you know, teams are using tight ends more and more in a receiving capacity, and they're throwing out their more three and four wide receiver sets. And I feel like the nickel has to have a guy that can cover uh, end zone and man and uh, can get his nose uh, dirty as well. And so I think bringing in Captain Munderland from last year, uh, well, we, we didn't have a good nickel last year. So I think that that is one of those things that, look, is that while we can talk about the backfield needing to be better, uh, being thin, is that, look, you win in this league by rushing the passer, right, and by stopping the run. 
And if you can get after those guys, which we do, you know, I mean, 47 sacks last year. Um, and that's with basically uh, with Coney Ely being our second leading sacker on the team with five sacks. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're just getting, I mean, I think our defense has the opportunity because it's manned by two of the best linebackers in the NFL and Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis within Shaq Thompson behind that. So the Panthers defense is good and could be great despite, I mean, without like any other team. Uh, and that is as long as the injury bug doesn't hit. Okay. I would have liked to see the team add TJ Ward. Uh, it would have been nice to look. Mike Adams is 36 or 37 years old. He is a two-time pro bowler in the last three years. Um, he has learned how to take care of his body and things like that. But if he goes down, if Kirk Coleman goes down or one of our corners goes down, we're really thin behind that. So, um, you know, the defense can be good. I think it's going to be very good and it could be great as long as we don't have any injuries. <laughs> well, it sounds like that's a story for uh, almost every team in the NFC South right now because we're the same. We're in the same boat. We've had injuries every year, so yeah, I totally. It's really I totally a story for every football team. Period. If right, yeah. the team that is successful is that rarely do teams suffer injury to major, major position sets and then just weather the storm. So, right. I mean, is that like in 2015, the Panthers stayed healthy and we got hot, you know, and that's a big deal. So look at offensive lines to stay yeah. healthy. Look at defensive lines to stay healthy. And then you fill in the gaps behind those dudes. Well, and that leads us to our guests from Atlanta. Um, Atlanta's offensive line last year, that was the only offensive line that played together for all 16 games. Uh, so that goes right to your point, Tony. They stayed healthy. They kept uh, they kept Matt Ryan clean. They opened up nice running lanes for those running backs. Uh, and that, I think, more than anything, helped them – propel themselves into the Super Bowl. So let's without further ado, let's uh let's bring in the Atlanta Falcons representative and talk about how the Falcons are going to uh take that next step uh after that Super Bowl loss and uh what do they expect to do uh this next year. Well I think first things first with that I think the biggest thing is you return pretty much every starter. And so that's the first level of continuity uh to be able to take that next step. Um, and, uh, you know, the biggest turnover really comes from the coaching staff. So, you know, how big of an impact is that going to have as we kind of get into a game flow with play calling and things like that? I think that'll be a big thing to watch for in the first few games. Might take a few games to iron that out. Um, but one thing I would mention as, as a huge point, one thing the Falcons did last year that was extremely successful and it worked very well for them in the run to the Super Bowl is they trained with Navy SEALs in the offseason. And something like that sounds extremely cliche, and the media likes to take big advantage of it. Uh, but the, uh, the guys from Acumen Performance Group are actually good friends of mine. I've done two interviews with them personally. Um, and I can tell you first and foremost that they are some of the uh, most well-respected men in this country. And some of the work that they do to get the team ready, both mentally and physically, is just extremely impressive. Um, and so talking to them in depth over the past couple months has been really interesting. Um, and they, they think that the team is ready to go, and uh, I'm, I'm there to agree with them. They know better than me, and so I'm just excited to see everything play out, and uh, like I said, when you return 
just about every starter and even add to it with Dontari Poe, pro bowler, add some more speed on defense with some rookies. I think things are going to hopefully go pretty well, of course, albeit with the injury bug. That's always a question. How do you top training with Navy SEAL specialists? <laughs> yeah, it's such a cool thing, man. Um, really cool guys. And, you know, it, it, it's really a good parallel, right? Because if you think about it, these are guys in, in war and in battle that have been through, you know, absolute hell and have been in situations that you can only dream of. And so for them to be able to take that and kind of teach these teams and these coaches on how to take their play to the next level, both mentally and physically, and how you kind of build a bond as a team and a brotherhood um, is really just an awesome and fascinating thing to watch. And it's the reason last season was my favorite season by far as a Falcons fan, regardless of the Super Bowl, it doesn't even matter. Just such a cool um, thing to watch the whole team come together around that whole brotherhood concept. Well, I know Sean is trumping a bit on this one here, but let let me ask you before he does. How did you take that Super Bowl? Um, For me, it was interesting, right? And you guys mentioned that my son was born. So he was actually born (laughs) three days before. And so it was really cool because we came home to the Super Bowl. And so it was this really exciting thing where, you know, it was our first day home with him and just having him there and watching the game. Honestly, and, and I'm, you know, you might not believe me. It didn't matter. It was just awesome to have him there to watch it. And uh, I never thought that I would see the Falcons play in a Super Bowl. And I mean never. And so to even just get there was awesome. Um, of course, you'd rather win, obviously. You know, anybody would agree with that. But just to even be there was just something I never thought I'd see, especially on the day that I had my first child come home from the front. You didn't see them in their other Super Bowl appearance? I did not. I was not really a, I was not really an NFL fan at that point, so – I was only about how long ago was that? That was in ninety eight. Come on. Yeah. I was only just a little young. I would like to point out that uh Panthers backup defensive end, Wes Horton, his father was Gemini on American Gladiators. <laughs> there you go. So, um, I see your Navy SEALs and I raised you American Gladiators. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a hell of a battle. Uh. He's talking about uh, Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl appearances. I remember when the Atlanta Falcons were founded. Look at that. Uh, (laughs) You're old. Yeah. (laughs) Well, now, let me – that's – Josh's comments are kind of an interesting segue into the – actually what I had listed as the first question to this panel. Um, Okay. Uh, do you, what do you guys think? Isn't isn't it about time? Mainstream media got hip to the fact that uh, I don't know, kind of relevant now. I mean, we've represented in the past two consecutive Super Bowls, regardless of results. Uh, we've put two teams there in the in the last two years, and we're always uh, oh well about that there's nothing else to, to write about we're always old hat and old news the rest of the country and and mainstream media realize that this is one of the most di- football yeah it's the it's definitely the best division in the nfl in my opinion and and i mean look even quarterback wise as well so uh i think quarterbacks top to bottom in the division right i mean you've got a hall of famer and drew Brees. You've got uh, MVPs and Cam Newton and Matt Ryan, and you've got an up-and-coming potential MVP superstar in Jameis Winston. There is no other division that comes close to that. So I think so. I think it's the best division in the NFL. 
Absolutely. Take over, Alan. Uh, Sean's bouncing out and coming back in since his audio. Yeah, I was see that. Up. I see that. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm looking at looking at some stuff going on here right now. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's talk about some of the rookies that have been brought in. Um, David, talk about some of the Tampa rookies and how you think any of them are going to uh, impact this upcoming season for for Tampa Bay. Uh, the rookies are are are, uh, are really interesting, but I don't think that the Buccaneers are going to have any rookies that really stand out on the stat sheet on the highlight reel as much as maybe some of the other teams in the division, uh, especially, you know, like with, with Carolina, with Christian McCaffrey. Um, but, you know, O.J. Howard's going to get his snaps. He's going to get in there on some two tight, end, t- two tight end sets, excuse me. I'd expect him to split out a little bit, uh, play in line, play off line. Um, you know, uh, Chris Godwin's a guy that we, we have a lot of excitement around. Uh, with Buccaneers fans, but you know, he didn't get too involved in the preseason. He got involved enough to show that he's, he's definitely got the ability to play in the NFL. Uh, but as far as his involvement, when the regular season comes, you know, the Bucks don't run a lot of four, four wide sets. Uh, I have a little bit of a kind of a prediction myself where I think we're going to see uh, the Buccaneers line up every once in a while with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin on the outside and Deshaun Jackson actually lined up in the slot. Beyond that, I think uh, Kendall Beckwith is probably going to be the most impactful rookie um, playing that weak side linebacker, uh, sorry, the strong side linebacker position for the Buccaneers alongside Quan Alexander and Levante David. And there's a lot of excitement to see what he can do with those guys on the field because where the defense is concerned, it really seems like the linebacking group is really the strength of the team. So as far as rookies are concerned, that's really all we've got. Uh, Stevie T, uh, I always butcher his name. I'm not going to try, honestly, out of respect. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> he's hurt. So, uh, you know, he was having a really strong preseason at defensive tackle for them. Uh, six-round draft pick, but unfortunately he got injured, and, and we're probably not going to see him this year. Jeremy McNichols, um, if you watch Hard Knocks, huh, you, saw, you saw how that whole thing went. Uh, Snoop Dogg's mm-hmm. protege didn't really pan out, and, you know, uh, kind of uh, – right? He went to the Niners. Yeah, he's with the Niners now, Joe. And, you know, uh, I mean, honestly, with the way he left and the attitude he kind of had, uh, you know, good riddance. You know, you know uh, it's, it's, a, it's a man's business. We don't got time for uh, for kids' games and – uh, the way he reacted was definitely the way I would expect a uh, a less than mature adult to to behave. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know it is what it is. Justin Evans, uh, the safety out of Texas A and M, you know he's he's a hammer dropper. He's a big hit type of guy. Uh, didn't make a whole lot of plays in the preseason, but you know a guy who plays as fast as he does. Um, the, the NFL game is is even faster than he's used to in college, so it's not really a big surprise. I think T.J. Ward's presence is really going to help him mature and get better. And if Ward doesn't come back in 2018, then I think just having him here for the year will help Ward, uh, Justin Evans, sorry, take uh, take advantage of that and become the starter next year. But I have a feeling that uh, you know if the Bucks can make the playoffs, I think they'll definitely make the moves they need to to bring T.J. Ward back next year. You hear that name, Joe? I do. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry about that, guys. No, it doesn't bother me at all. Tony is the one who's who was clinically depressed over it. I'm, yeah, a, well, I'm going to get more <laughs> beer right now because of I saw that. Uh, well, he was almost I'm, medically depressed. That vein that was popping on Periscope. Uh, well, yeah, I, I I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised because I would have picked um, OJ Howard as being the rookie to watch for the. 
Tampa Bay this year because tight ends are generally uh, a quarterback's best friend, especially a young quarterback like uh, Jameis Winston. You would think having that guy there as your safety valve, your dump-off guy, maybe your first down you know, conversion guy, uh, I would expect to see Howard kind of move into that starting role, but it sounds like he's going to be brought along slowly now, and they're really going to rely on the defensive rookies more than the uh, offensive ones. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really kind of seems to be the case. I mean, he's definitely a talented guy, and he's, he's going to get on the field. Um, you know, it's really going to be up to the defense, to be honest with you. I mean, the, the Buccaneers really have so many offensive weapons. That's why there's such a focus this year on Jameis Winston just playing smarter because – in the past couple of seasons, you know, getting over 4,000 yards has really been pure uh, sheer determination by Jameis Winston and Mike Evans because there just hasn't been, you know, a, an arsenal of weapons for Jameis to work with. And there haven't been teammates to take attention away from Evans. You know, Adam Humphreys did the best he could. But outside of them, you know, there just really hasn't been another outlet out there other than maybe Cam Brait. And while Cam Brait was a great tight end last year, he still came in. He's the fifth-ranked uh, tight end in the NFL when they all came down to it, which is which is amazing, um, which is why he's a starter this year. And that's why OJ, you know, it's it's much more of a future move and just stacking the deck for Jameis because if you're if you're a defense and you put uh, a safety and a linebacker on the two tight ends on Brayton Howard, Jameis is probably going to go up against that that smaller safety and let uh, you know whoever's covering. Whoever's going up against him, just body him out and, and box him out of the post and and uh, grab that rebound in the end zone. Okay, uh, so do you think you're going to see a rebirth of uh, Deshaun Jackson in Tampa? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it depends on what what you know what you consider a rebirth. Uh, I think last year he still netted about 900 yards of offense. Um, that's probably around what what you should you should expect this year. Uh, from him, you know, I don't think we're talking about a hundred year or a hundred uh, hundred catches, you know, twelve hundred yards or anything like that. But I think he's going to be effective. I think he's going to be one of the one of the best home run threats uh, in the NFC South, and that's something that the Buccaneers have been missing. You know, last year they had zero plays go for more than forty yards from scrimmage, and I and I think that uh, we won't we won't get past the Minnesota game before we see Winston and Jackson hook up for a play of at least forty yards, if not more. Okay. All right. Well, let's ask the question then of Carolina, um, because, you know, the Saints, it's no secret, the Saints really wanted Christian McCaffrey, and Carolina brought him in. They got him ahead of us, um, which was a surprising move for someone like me, because I really thought Carolina was going to focus more on that offensive line and getting defensive help. Uh, So how do you guys see Cam Newton using Christian McCaffrey? Because we've seen kind of teases in the play in the uh, preseason uh, of what he can do. How do you guys see him playing with, uh, with Cam Newton? You got this Tony or you want me to grab it? Uh, I'll start. I'm going to tell you, this is what's going to go down is that we finally have seen this is for the first time uh, since Cam Newton has been in the NFL, he's going to have a guy that can make plays other than himself on the team. So that's nice, right, is that uh, to have a playmaker. But I think one other thing to point out is that Christian McCaffrey is the, I guess the only, he's got to be the top offensive pick for the Carolina Panthers outside of Cam Newton in the NFL draft period. You can throw Tim Biakabatuka out there. But other than that, I can't think of a top 10 pick on offense, that was a like we don't even know how to internalize what McCaffrey could be 
for us just because we haven't had that much uh, experience with somebody who is so dynamic and so explosive. And let me tell you this, is that I'm a guy who was interested in names like uh, Jamal Adams, uh, Derek Barnett. I thought these were guys that the Panthers that were more in line with the dudes they like to target. Um, I, I mean, I was also, I'm enamored with Leonard Fournette. Um, and look, I like Christian McCaffrey. I wasn't against him, but everything people said he was, he is more. This guy is amazing. So you ask how the Panthers are going to use him. I think this is just get him involved any possible way they can. And I don't think it's complicated. I think you just dump the ball off to him. You get him on some short routes. You try to get him in space. Um, And then if things get really um, exciting, you're going to see him more and more in the running game, which, I mean, he is a running back, right? But, I mean, I think you're going to see this is that as the season goes on, I think the NFL is going to learn and the Panthers are going to learn the more the ball is in Christian McCaffrey's hands, the better for this team. I I totally agree with that. Um, I I thought that the pick was made so – they could stop having players coming in just to go get Cam Newton or go hit Cam Newton because I think the the coach, uh, Ron Rivera, kind of looked at last year how guys just teeing off on Newton, figuring that they stop Newton and get Newton hurt or disturbed, you know, shook up early, looking at the rush, he was less effective. And uh, by getting a player like McCaffrey, now Newton can get rid of that ball before the rush gets there, and you've got a guy who can do something in space for them. Um, Joey, how do you see this? Oh, I think this is um, – they put the perfect guy on the Carolina Panthers to compliment Cam Newton. He um, – one thing that – after the after last season, the Panthers as an organization began this talk of um, evolving the offense and and sort of moving away from this uh, round and pound, play action pass, hold the ball, seven step drops, go deep kind of thing to, hey, let's get Cam Newton doing three step drops and, you know, quick hitters. That way he's not exposing himself to taking all these hits. Whether or not the line is good doesn't matter. Let's just get him hit less. And we can do that by shortening his drops, getting the ball out quicker. So that's what they were determined to do. Getting a Christian McCaffrey is invaluable toward doing that. And, you know, a lot of times organizations will talk, 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 but then when it comes to putting... You know, where the rubber hits the road, it doesn't happen. Well, in this case, you know, there was a lot of discussion amongst Panther fans. Hey, do we want Fournette? Do we want McCaffrey? Um, It was probably 50-50, maybe 55-45 Fournette. But once the Jaguars stepped in and made their pick, you know, there was no doubt who Carolina was going for. And had Fournette come to Carolina, I think it would have been more of the same more run the ball, pound the ball, run the ball, play action pass. But with, with McCaffrey... Personally, I'm thankful for Jacksonville, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> with McCaffrey, now we have um, someone who can 
get the ball one time and take it to the house. I think what you're going to see, guys, is what you saw Thursday night in Kansas City. But just, I mean, no surprises. Kareem Hunt, I mean, like, Christian McCaffrey is everything Kareem Hunt was. Yes. On Thursday night, plus more. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what the new NFL offense is going to be from from this point forward. It's going to be your hybrid slot receiver, so on and so forth. It's not going to be quarterback that drops back in a perfectly formed pass pocket and delivers a strike to a wide receiver that runs a a streak pattern down the side. It's not going to be that. It's going to be this subterfuge of up as wide receivers like, like exactly what Tony just said, what we saw the other night. Well, I think, too, what Alan was saying earlier is this, is that everybody knew what you could do against the Panthers, and that is try to tee off because we had slow receivers. So I think the problem with Carolina wasn't really that anybody on the team was bad by themselves, is we had a duplication of talent and a lack of diversity of talent. Mm -hmm. And what you need or this is you need guys like KB uh, who are big and can win uh, the point of attack in the air. You need guys that are dangerous in space. You need to be able to throw three receivers out there that have different skill sets. And I think like what uh, to kind of parrot what Sean was saying is that you can't just say anymore that this is what a running back is. This is what a wide receiver is in the NFL. You have to just start looking for players and finding ways to use those players. And you'll see, and I guess that those are the coaches who prove who, who, who are good or not in the NFL, who are great. Look at Bill Belichick is that it doesn't matter. He can find ways to find the best in these guys, whoever they are in so many ways, and scheme to their traits rather than the old school mentality of bringing in guys that fit our system and things to that nature. But how can we scheme with what we got to make the best? Yeah. And I definitely think Alvin Kamara, who we talked about in the first hour is going to be used in a similar way as Kareem Hunt, as you saw with, uh, as you're going to see with uh, Christian McCaffrey, that, that back to the outside. And that's going to take me to the Atlanta uh, look, because Atlanta kind of did a lot of that last year with their double running back, uh, dual running back threats. They got us in that first Monday night game when they played the Saints. We really saw them stretch the Saints defense vertically as well as horizontally. And it really exposed the Saints lack of speed, especially in the linebacking core, when they would attack us vertically. And as a result, the response we was – well, the response was spread us out. So then all of a sudden now Matt Ryan sees the uh, defense spread out trying to cover sideline to sideline. So now he has the quick hitters, the trap plays and so forth for the running backs to go up the gut, running behind Alex Mack and so forth. So let me ask you this, with that loaded offensive uh, talent that they've got on the Falcons and with uh, with the defense – what rookies do you see having an impact on the team this year? 
Well, it's interesting. We're talking about speedy running backs and playmakers, and the Falcons, first and foremost, draft speed. And so I think the guy to look out for this year uh, was a guy they picked in the third round from your backyard in LSU, and that's Duke Riley, uh, an athletic linebacker who can run downhill and hit. I think what Dan Quinn really looks for is something like that for a lot of reasons. You need those guys, as we're talking about, to, to cover tight ends that are athletic and big and fast, running backs out of the backfield that are quick and shifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need Duke Riley. You need Deion Jones. You need Devondre Campbell. The Falcons have three of them, thankfully. So um, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how the Falcons linebackers match up with some of the new players in the NFC South, like Adrian Peterson, like um, Christian McCaffrey, um, and, and things like that. So it's going to be real interesting to watch. I think Duke Riley is going to be a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, Tack McKinley, their first-round pick, is going to play a lot as a pass rusher, mostly in the nickel package. Um, so nothing too much to expect there as a surprise. I mean, hopefully we get a few sacks from him, uh, but still kind of leaning on Vic Beasley as the main uh, sack artist there. Uh, kind of a sleeper draft pick is DeMonte KZ, uh, defensive back from a small school. He had a really good camp, really good preseason, uh, before he kind of hurt his ankle a couple weeks back. So I think he's probably going to get some time at some point in, in a nickel defense or when we have, you know, five, six defensive backs out on the field. So a uh, good coverage guy in college. So I think we might see a little bit of him as well. How about your first-round draft pick? How do you see him playing into the defensive line? Yeah. Uh, I know the Saints were interested in him. Yeah, yeah. He's, he looked great. Uh, he, was, he had that, that shoulder injury coming out of um, UCLA. It took him a little while to get on the field, so a little bit late developing in that sense, but he looked great in the preseason. Really fast off the snap. Uh, does a good job of using his hands and his upper body strength to get to the quarterback. So I think he's going to be a guy that slowly comes along. He might have a better second half of the year than a first half just as he kind of learns the defense and get some more reps in there um, and some more experience against NFL offensive tackles, which is obviously a whole different world. Um, but the Falcons are going to rotate a ton on the defensive line. They have a ridiculous amount of depth on the defensive line um, where they can rotate in five, six, seven guys to pass rush. So it's going to be really cool uh, to watch that this year. Good deal. Good deal. Um, John, just a quick, quick score update. 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Oklahoma's up 24-13. Thanks for that, Joe. David, uh, I'd like to put out there that uh, their head coach is the former assistant offensive coordinator coordinator for the East Carolina Pirates. And just since we're talking about the Atlanta Falcons, do you have any good information for us on Justin Hardy and the Atlanta Falcons? Uh, Because that's our dude, the man with the golden gloves, we call him, around here. Uh, but it's a very crowded group out there. It is. Yeah, yeah. It uh, might be the best receiver group in the NFL. It's up there, right? I mean, Julio, Mohamed Sanu is a great number two, moves the chains. Taylor Gabriel was a big surprise last year, um, just kind of a very good deep threat, catch the ball in space. And then Justin Hardy. Uh, so I'll throw a quote at you that I got from my Navy SEAL friends with Acumen Performance Group. They told me that Justin Hardy is one of the toughest guys that they've ever met. That's coming from a Navy SEAL. So if that gives you anything, that tells you just how good of a player he can be when he's going to get that opportunity. Um, so he's tough. He's not afraid to go over the middle, obviously. Uh, I think we'll see him a little bit more in the red zone than anything else. And, of course, uh, Julio does usually miss games due to his foot. So always ready to step in and have a guy like Justin Hardy there that can make big plays. Not- Fun fact I got Justin even fantasy Hardy, guys, is Justin Hardy, who's from Vanceboro, North Carolina, which is like 15 minutes from where I live at, uh, wasn't even offered a scholarship to a Division yeah. One school out of uh, high school, walked on at ECU, 
and then goes on to set the catch record for NCAA history only to be broken by another ECU Pirate the fo- like the following year in Zay Jones. Yep. Yeah, outstanding work ethic from from Justin Hardy, uh, tough as nails, and um, just a guy that you can never count out. So we love having him on the team. Uh, he also plays on special teams, which is awesome. He can return kicks and everything. So just a great, versatile player, and uh, hope to see a little bit more of him this year. And another tie-in okay. to Tony, uh, your ECW Pirates head coach is now head coach 30 miles up the road from me in uh, – Oh, God. oh, it's uh, it's Louisiana Tech. Oh. It's Skip Skip Holtz. Yes. Yeah, Lou Holtz's son. Yeah. So, I have a question. Famously in his own right. I have a question for a question, if I may. Uh, and you and I have discussed this to great length. Uh, once again, I got to tell you guys, I feel like one of the luckiest guys in the world because all these guys right here, I'm very good friends with. And if I have a question, like we're discussing now, I just whip them. We begin these long discussions. Uh, Josh, uh, the as as Alan put it earlier, the elephant in the room. They the Atlanta they. The memes, the jokes, all that are endless. Uh, and this is coming from a New Orleans Saints guy, obviously. Uh, we hate y'all. Uh, but that, uh, there's no way to put it delicately. But I'll soldier on. <laughs> uh, past. You know. You, you've done your offseason, you've done your draft, you've done your free agency, you've done all of that. How do you guys make that transition to staying rather than this being a quote-unquote hangover situation, a prime motivator towards not being the chumps this year, but rather – and having the biggest disappointment of our career turn into the biggest motivator towards what is out there for this team? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Get that a lot. Yeah, Uh, it's interesting, right? I mean, how do you come back from something like that where you're so close and it kind of all falls apart? Um, What I would say is this. In talking to the Navy SEALs who train with them and know them well, uh, the thing that they stress to me is, you know, in the media's eyes and in our eyes as fans, we see the seasons as cut and dry separate, right? 2016 was one year, 2017 is another year than 2018. In reality to the team in that building, um, it's not that way, right? I mean, they've built something, a, com- a camaraderie, a brotherhood um, that they're able to build upon, right? So it, it, it hasn't ended, right? Yes, the record is reset. It's back to zero and zero, but everything else is in place. So it's not that you have to necessarily climb the mountain again. You've already established yourself in terms of where you want to be with your culture, and then you can continue to build upon that. So I think that's something to uh, to keep in mind is it's not necessarily cut and dry a whole different year uh, where the whole team is just completely reset back to zero. There's a lot of continuity in this team in in the culture, and I think that's something that's going to hopefully help them uh, avoid that, that dreaded hangover word. Um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff I would say, too, is 
when it comes to hangovers, I think if you look at the Panthers as a good example, is it's not necessarily things that you can control. It's injuries, it's bad luck, it's stuff like that. So is the team really necessarily any worse, right? We didn't lose anybody. I mean, really, if anything, we got better this offseason with a guy like Dontari Poe. And so if anything's going to prevent us from going back to the Super Bowl, it's going to be that dreaded bad luck, that wrong bounce at the wrong time, that missed catch, that injury that just hurts you down the stretch. So I think, you know, I just gave you guys an old Italian curse that my great grandmother used to. Give. <laughs> uh, well, we got we got the Madden curse in 2010. Uh, that was that's what that's what about the Saints. Um, I think, in fact, that was Drew Brees' worst year as a Saint. I think he threw 22 interceptions in 2010. Um, he had a leg injury that affected some of his passing. And, of course, the infamous beast mode when we had to play the oh Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. yeah, when we had to play Seattle Seahawks in, uh, in, in Seattle, even though they had a worse record than us. I mean, the yeah. finished, they finished 11-5. and five. So they did have a successful season in 2010, but exactly. We didn't get the turnovers we got in 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't as lucky with the injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things, we lost the Falcons that year, and that really was the difference between winning the division and having home field advantage and being uh, a team that has to go on the road to play a wild card game. So yeah, and, and and Carolina can attest to that same thing. They go from fifteen and one to six and ten the following year uh, because you lose. You don't get those bounces that you got yeah. previous years. You're not as like her. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. People get injured, and you know, that, that that's a huge part of uh, trying to make the playoffs after a Super Bowl appearance. Um. I have to say, Josh, I believe that there's going to be something from the 25-3 to comeback loss. Um, There's going to be something there. That's not to say it's going to derail them, but it's always going to be in the back of their minds. Maybe after a few games where they're, you know, successful and doing what they want, they'll forget about it. But I think initially, at the beginning of the year, it's going to be there. Frankly, I think losing uh, your offensive coordinator is going to be a bigger uh, loss than than many Falcon fans are counting. I think, um, you know, that he's a he's a smart guy. He he's a great offensive mind, and that's not something you can easily replace. So I, I think that's and something that he's not a dick. <laughs> It's going underrated. Yeah, yeah, I mean, certainly it is hard to replace. I mean, it it was almost like he couldn't call a wrong play at certain points of the year. I mean, it was just deadly effective. Until Um, the Super Bowl. And how do you you kind of build that chemistry again? That's the hard part, right? You know, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he's obviously – all these coaches are smart in their own ways, but – Really, the key is the chemistry between the offensive coordinator and the quarterback, getting into the flow of the game and calling the right plays at the right time. And so I think um, it's going to be interesting to watch if the Falcons give Matt Ryan a little bit more authority to kind of run the no huddle and give him his chance to call some of his own plays that he might feel more comfortable with initially until he builds that rapport with Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, and as long as Steve Sarkeesian doesn't get a drink, he, he should be good for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. But, uh, I imagine there's going to be no look, alcohol celebrating hey, in the locker hey, room. 
I got. I'm sorry. I have. I have a partial resentment to Steve Sarkeesian because I think he set Jalen Hurts up to fail in that uh, national championship game against Clemson. I sure? thought he did. did you see the game last. I thought he. I know. I know. I know. I just. I, I I thought that was ridiculous what they were trying to do in that second half against Clemson. Um, that Alabama defense just got worn out because of so many three and outs, uh, and I thought that was um, that was just. Don't even get me started on that uh, because I really wanted Alabama to win. Um, just just because I like pouring salt in the wounds of LSU fans, but that's just me. <laughs> If I can go back to, I want to jump back to, we were talking about, you know, how you get over that Super Bowl hangover. And me and Sean had a great conversation about this about a month ago. Think about this, right? The margin for error in the NFL is just so thin, right? I mean, how great are teams that make the playoffs as compared to teams that don't? I think it, the perception is it's a huge difference. Um, but I was watching the Rams documentary on Amazon recently uh, from last season with Jeff Fisher. And it's funny because in the beginning of the year, I think they started like three and one. And they really thought that they were one of the most talented teams in the NFL. And really, they were just made fun of all year long for being a not very good team. Uh, mm-hmm. And so really, it's interesting to see the you know inside of a building, how good these teams really think they are, whether or not it's perceived to be that way on the outside. So I think the margin for error is just really thin between great teams and not so great teams just because of that luck and the ball bouncing your way. And so Absolutely. it's going to be a challenge to get back. It's going to be a battle. Um, well, yeah. it's the same it's kind of the same thing that we as journalists and and guys that cover these teams that we see every week on a weekly basis. Uh, example, Drew Brees is going up against this quarterback and this uh, defense, defense this week. Well, they're good. Hell, everybody is good at this level. Yeah, Everybody is good at this. These guys are getting paid astronomically imagination amount of money this damn good professional everybody is good it's just who raises their game to that particular point on that particular day yeah i would agree okay um well you know one last thing and we'll we'll let it go uh we were talking earlier about getting over that 28 to three hump, you know, one of those things. And, and this is part of that team chemistry. No, really, this is part of that team chemistry. Uh, and that, that mindset that you get in when you begin to think as you build a huge league, this is what the, Fal- uh, the Falcons like to do. The Falcons like to jump on teams early, um, get 35 points before, the other team has really had a chance to get a first down uh, and then kind of pound the ball and control the clock and just kind of wear you down and turn that pass rush loose. When that other team starts to get success because they've got, they've overcome that, that whirlwind, that, that storm that came through um, and then start to come back into the game, that mindset, you start to wonder, okay, is it happening now? Are we going through this again? Is this another here we go again scenario? And I think that is when the Falcons' mentality and resilience is going to really be challenged. Because how do you get? And see, that's what we've been experiencing for the past three years, I believe. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the biggest problem with the Saints, and I'll, I'll bring this one in, the biggest problem with the Saints you have is not starting off well. Starting up the season, one and three, oh and four. Uh, you know, not starting two and two are better. And as a result, the Saints get into that hole where they're constantly trying to get out of get to 500, get out of the, the hole they dug for themselves. And they spend so much energy doing that, that the margin between going nine and seven, seven and nine is just one or two plays. And again, it's that mindset we've had these past few years where, okay, we're, we're one and three in the first four games. Here we go again. We're not going to make the playoffs. We're going to struggle. And if you look at the Saints records, whenever they started four and oh or three and one, they go into the playoffs. Well, we start off with a pretty hard schedule in the beginning. We start off with the Minnesota Vikings in their stadium. We go play New England. Then we play Carolina. And I believe we play in Carolina for that game. Um, I don't have the yeah. schedule in front of me, but I think it is. We play in Carolina. And then we go to London to play the Dolphins and smoke and Jay Cutler. Um, <laughs> then we have our bye week. Oh, you got to see smoking. But, yeah, I mean, so – that's the that's the the obstacle, the mental hurdle we have to get over is we have to start off well, and that's why I think so many Saints fans are like, oh my God, the Patriots got handled by the Chiefs. That's not good for us. Belichick's going to have ten days to sit there and beat up these guys and get them pissed off, so they can come out to not start zero and two, come out and take it to us. And that puts all the pressure on us against Carolina because I'm assuming we're beating the Vikings. But that puts all the pressure on us against Carolina to come out. We have to come out of that game with a win. So we're not less than 500 going into the bye week. All right. I want to jump in here and ask David about some Buccaneers stuff because uh, not only is Lincoln Riley just taking it to you guys over there, (laughs) <laughs> on that uh, on that field, but uh, my question is this: Since we're talking about the hangover stuff, right? <laughs> and while you don't have to worry about a hangover necessarily, look, is that this is the most talented team that you guys have had? There's a lot. It seems the expectations are high. The expectations are high for, uh, and Carolina has struggled under high expectations in the past. So, how do you? How do you foresee this being – is this a complication? Can this team uh, filter out that noise? Is that just something you have to wait and see? Um, I'm going to – unfortunately right now I have to go. It's it's a wait and see thing. But I believe that the team has a leadership they need to be able to filter it all out. Uh, a lot of the key players for the Buccaneers are very young. And when you get a lot of young guys like this with a lot of hype around them, uh, it can be a blessing and a curse because – the more people are paying attention, the more the players are aware people are paying attention and the more likely they are to overplay uh, and, and make mistakes because of that, that, that over aggression. Um, Winston is obviously uh, probably the biggest culprit that, you know, we're looking at um, it, again, going back to the hard knock series, uh, that interception that he threw that, you know, ended up getting called back for a sack or whatever, you know, Dirk's, Dirk Cutter's words to him are, you know, you're too good to be that greedy or, or you know, something that's paraphrasing. Basically saying that, you know, <laughs> he, he's got to learn how to let the next play come and, 
and, you know, play for the next down and all those all those other football cliches, you know, just stay alive. And if he can't do that, then, you know, the season could go south in, in a very fast way uh, because, you know, uh, some of these turnovers, you know, last year what, what led to some of these turnovers not beating the, the Buccaneers so bad was a lot of them came in the opponent's 30-yard line within the opponent's 30-yard line, which is taking points off your own board, but it's not necessarily putting points on theirs. And if some of those turnovers this year turn into points in their own end field, then, you know, uh, the defense could definitely be be pushed up against the wall. So I believe they can pull it out. Um, I have I have confidence in them. I think Dirk Cutter and Mike Smith can definitely keep, in going, keep things going in the right direction. But, you know, it's, it's a wait and see for right now. Why do you think people have christened um, Jameis Winston as such a success so early? Um, and, well, I, I'm not saying that he's he's been good or bad. It doesn't matter that to me. Is I feel like he's been looked upon by not only people in Tampa, which I would expect you guys to be like that, but just outsiders too, as a guy that has shown that he can he can be he's about to be great. Where I see someone who has those flashes, but also has these crazy five pick games, <laughs> and like you're saying, you're throwing out there like you were greedy on that and things like that. Where do you stand on Jameis Winston, and do you think that we've been a little too quick to just say he's awesome? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that speaks to the culture of, of the NFL right now. You know, you see coaches nowadays get, you know, two years to, to turn a, a scrub into a, into a stud, and if they don't show those improvements, they're gone. And, and quarterbacks are kind of the same. You know, uh, you look at, at Blake Bortles two years ago, you know, the narrative on Blake Borders was he's about to take that next step and become one of the next great quarterbacks in the NFL. And and you look at Andrew Luck, and, and he was that way. And now because the Colts have struggled for a couple of years, uh, I think everybody would agree that it's less Andrew Luck's fault and more management's fault for not putting the offensive line and the defense on that team that they need to be successful. But Andrew Luck is the one who's ultimately taking it on the chin. And, you know, you, it, see you look Jack at Prescott. Dak Prescott yeah, yeah, right Dak now Prescott. is the is golden boy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's going to be better than Troy Aikman if you talk to some Cowboys fans, you know. And, and, <laughs> oh, and at the end of the I, day, yeah, honest, exactly. But to be <laughs> fair, to be honest, look, guys, to be fair though, is Dak Prescott the most overrated but, quarterback in the last decade? But look, look, let me let's let's be fair with this: Dak Prescott, Jameis Winston, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton. Uh, they all had college success. They. They have it's not like just scout speak. Blake Bortles is the him and that guy, uh, the guy that got hurt in uh, Miami. Those are scout speak guys where it's like they look good in a football uniform, my friend says. Like, is that they got the stats, they got the heights, they have the measurables, they do these things. But sometimes, uh, I think of like Teddy Bridgewater, how everybody thought he was crappy. And he played better than all those cats that first year uh, until he had that just disgusting injury. So, I mean, Jameis does have the pedigree, right? Jameis has a pedigree. I I totally agree with that. Uh, I think so. I think Dak does, too. To be honest, I think Dak had college success. Yeah, well, I like Dak. I thought he was very underrated yeah, coming people, out in the draft. I had him as as an early or a early and mid mid day two guy, knowing that you know that's not how the NFL saw him, and 
you know, I stuck to my guns a lot like I did with Michael Thomas. And fortunately for me, they both panned out because it makes me look a little bit smarter. But Jameis, <laughs> you know, the big thing with Jameis That's is okay, you're smart. Know uh, what's that? He says, we know better. You're smart. <laughs> I talked to your wife and she tells me the real story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the thing about Jameis, though, I mean, he's shown that he can be a very effective NFL quarterback mm-hmm. and even possibly be one of those elite NFL quarterbacks. But, again, mm-hmm. it's the consistency, and that's what makes the great one so great is that consistency. Um, he makes he makes great throws. He'll make good decisions. But then take example, um, the game, uh, I think it was the pre- um, Hard Knocks, they talked about it, where he was – about to be sacked, and he just threw the ball up for whatever reason. They were down inside the five-yard line. You know, yeah, that's the, that's the Jacksonville touchdown. game, and, and that's exactly the frustrating part about Jameis yeah. is every right. single play he wants to go out there and score a touchdown, which is a very admirable attitude for him to have, and that's what you want in a leader and, and so on and so forth. But as a leader, he's got to be smarter with the ball and understand that if I can't make a play on this play, it's okay to just eat, eat the ball and and, and have yeah. another down and go for it. Yeah, let's another you down. Look back, I can draw a parallel here. You look back to the season that Sean Payton was suspended from the league. <sighs> Drew Brees did the very same thing with the New Orleans Saints. He took this team up on his back, and he reached – way, way, way more oftentimes than he ever should have, took more responsibility. If something's going to happen, it's got to be by me, and it told on him more oftentimes than not. Yeah, and I compare Winston a lot to uh, to Brett Favre, and, you know, not by status as of right now because obviously he hasn't done what Brett Favre has done. But even look at his last year in Minnesota and the playoff game against the Saints, I mean, the way that he went out uh, in that game and, and threw that ridiculous pass all the way across the field, across his body. And, you know, Pop Warner quarterbacks know not to make that throw. That's just how Brett Favre played, and that's how Winston's playing. And who knows if it's ever going to go away, you know? For a guy like Favre, unfortunately or fortunately, those kind of plays have turned out well for him enough times that he thinks he can get away with that. So I I think if I I equated – probably Winston to a Tampa Bay quarterback. I'd probably say he's got a lot of Doug Williams in him in Doug Williams early years with Tampa Bay with trying to make a play uh, when instead he should just be more patient, trying to look for that big play all the time. Um, Question for you about Tampa Bay and Gerald McCoy. Um, Why have people sort of turned on Gerald McCoy? Um, What, what, what do you think is the issue people have with him right now? Uh, it's it's a decade long, you know, decade plus long hangover from Warren Sapp. You know, every every Buccaneer fan wants the Buccaneers to find the next Warren Sapp, and what what they don't seem to realize, some of them anyway, some of us anyway, is that you don't need you know all the talking and all the all the theatrics to go with solid defensive tackle play in order to have a great defensive tackle because Gerald McCoy is a great defensive tackle. He doesn't have necessarily all the stats that Warren Sapp did and he also doesn't have the 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 you know outgoing attitude that Warren Sapp did but uh you know I don't know why Gerald McCoy gets a lot of the hate that he does from some of the Buccaneers fan base but it's really undeserved I'm hoping it totally uh, is undeserved they should love the dude for for holding down the middle of that defense when there was nothing around him for three years exactly oh definitely and there's there's 31 other NFL franchises it's going to be just about the same as it is with any of the rest of us. 
our excuse me, not us, but our teams are winning, that makes everything okay. Not winning and you're not making the playoffs and your team is not in the postseason, Cape go. And when you're a high priced uh veteran, they're gonna be the first that's gonna be the first thing that these talking heads fan base this is who you need to point to if we didn't have to pay him all this money because the same thing happens in new orleans right now believe it or not with drew Brees. if we didn't have to pay drew Brees' salary we could pay for this and this and this and this upgrade to all these different positions i think it's got to do though with what david is saying in personality mm-hmm um is that and maybe this has to do if you could tie those things together right with sean and the winning right and with david the personality is that the mild manner mild manner personality is okay when you're winning but it's kind of like having a coach where they come out there you kind of want when you're losing and just terrible for the coach to be like grabbing dudes by the face mask and stuff like that but Gerald McCoy like I mean this dude has stayed I think he's been a player um I think he's been a, a, a I'm gonna be honest with you guys I'm gonna be honest with you guys I've watched these uh whatever it was episodes of hard knocks and I've developed a brand new respect for Gerald McCoy. Yeah, he's, he's just liked a great, him. genuine guy. I've know? always liked him. Um, well, question. I'm not going to like him on Sunday, but no, I'm not going to like him on Sunday. But I do like him as a player. I, I would love to have a Gerald McCoy. Sure. Um, I'm going to ask this to the Carolina Panthers crew here, Joey and Tony. Do you think that uh, Ron Rivera is on the hot seat? No, I don't think he's on the hot seat. I think if he goes six and ten again, his seat's not going to be hot. It's going to be on fire. Um, fire! But I think uh, for right now, no, I don't think there's a hot seat. I think he's no, fine. That, I think the organization's fine. Yeah, I don't think so. Is that like, look, you got a, a coach who's led the team to win three division championships. Uh, back to back to back, right? All, um, a Super Bowl appearance, a fifteen and one. I do think this is that we need to see Ron Rivera develop as a coach. That's something that I want to continue to see. Mm-hmm. Um, is that he was on the hot seat his first two seasons as a coach, yeah. and one of the things you do, and and probably and not rightfully so, in those years. You see, that's the thing is fans want to put a coach on the hot seat when they don't deserve to be on it and then let him off when he doesn't. I think what you should be watching for is this, is that, you know, if you found some success, but how do you adapt? How do you continue um, and not evolve? Like, you know, this kind of like, it has to be an epic thing, but we need to see him get better at his job. Just like we need to see um, quarterbacks get better at their job. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with that. I just was wondering if, you know, with the kind of uh, seesaw seasons the Carolina Panthers have had with the 7-8-1, 15-1, and then 6-10, and 10, if they don't see an improvement, if they don't see a uh, 
you know, eight and eight or better season out of him or some sort of level of consistency? Do they start looking for a guy who is more offensive minded to try and figure out, you know, how to how to get Cam Newton and that offense take that next step forward? Well, I think before Ron would go, I think they would let go of the offensive coordinator, um, Mike Shula. I think he would be be gone if, let's say, you know, this this year the Panthers failed to produce offensively, which results in a, you know, a, a, a seven and nine record. Um, I think Shula would be out the door right away. And then I think Ron would be given a respite by by that. But with the expectations of, hey, you're going to bring in a new offensive guy, and next year we're going to see, you know, some, some offensive production. You know, then now, I would say he's certainly on the hot seat. Now, here's one thing, though, Joe, that we haven't considered. I just was, as you were talking, just thought about it is that I think that, first of all, I think that's the way that most teams should go, is I think you should first try to replace a coordinator and then see if you can keep a a certain degree of continuity with a head coach. Because I'm telling you, if you look at college teams that struggle, my ECU Pirates being one of them, being a head coach is is kind of a skill that it's, it's like almost like a soft skill. You know, it's not something that you just have you were a good coordinator, so that means you're a good head coach or something to that effect. So I think it's smart to think about replacing uh, some guys underneath the head coach first and to see if that can uh, kind of turn the momentum, you know, or swing things a little bit. But one thing we haven't mentioned is that the Panthers suddenly fired their GM and Dave Gettleman just a couple of yeah. days uh, into or before training camp or whatever it was. And you never know how the GM search goes. You know, one of the things that was interesting is that Ron Rivera was one of the few head coaches when Dave Gettleman came in as a new GM, when our interim general, like Marty Herney, who was our interim general manager. It's like bizarre. It's like a soap opera. (laughs) Our current interim general manager is the general manager who preceded the one who was fired. Mm-hmm. So, like, everybody thought that when Dave Gettleman came in there, Ron Rivera had a marginal, at best, record that Dave Gettleman was going to want to bring in his guys, implement his thing. And somehow Ron Rivera made it through that and and maintained being head coach. And so then uh, he had success. So I guess the ultimate question then is, is that even if Ron Rivera isn't on the hot seat, um, if you get that middling season, we don't really know what the temperature is going to be like if we get a new GM. If Marty Herney is the guy that sticks around, I think Ron Rivera is okay because he's the guy that hired Ron Rivera in the first place. Well, and that brings a great question because you were talking about Shula possibly going out the door and, and the transitions going off the GM. How do you see uh, the loss of Sean McDermott to Buffalo affecting this defense? Well, I'll say that, um, you know, McDermott definitely, when McDermott first got to Carolina, his first year, Tony remembers, I wrote this article where I just lit him up, man. 
Yeah, he I pushed him up one side and down the other, chewed him up and spit him out. Boy, I was hot, hot. But um, he he progressed. He he learned. He didn't have any talent, Joe. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. He didn't. He was out there trying to make you know men out of toddlers. It was really really awful. So devoid of talent. I, I gave him no mercy, though. None whatsoever. Anyway, um, he 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 showed that he knew what he was doing. He got some talent. Um, he made the most of what he had. And, and he grew as a coordinator. He grew and he learned. And, um, you know, you, you, there was going to be a, a difference because uh, the guy who took his place has been with the Panthers a long time, has been with Ron Rivera a long time. He was the uh, defensive backs coach, and now he is the um, coordinator. And I know a lot of the schemes are the same. Basically, it's going to be the same defense, but you do have different personnel. I mean, you do have a different person making the calls. But much like uh, Josh said, with with, um, letting Matty Ice make um, some offensive calls, I believe that the Panthers defensive coordinator will do the same with, with like Keekley and Thomas Davis and and let them sort of be the on-field coaches. Of course, he's going to have input and he's going to, you know, be able to provide them with feedback. But, um, you know, you got to take, take advantage of guys like that, like Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley. These are not just your average player. These guys are or, you know, especially Keithley, he's a film junkie. He does the same amount of work as coaches do when evaluating opponents and film study and that sort of thing. So I think you'll see yeah, it. Yeah, I want to ask, I ask uh, both Joey and Tony. Uh, the I wasn't going to say this, but uh, the guy, the statements that you guys have made in regard to Gettleman have kind of brought something back into my mind that I've been meaning to uh, <coughs> broach with you guys off there, but hey, why not? We're here. We're together. Let's talk about it. Um, how does the in, the whole way of putting it, the unrest of the Gettleman situation, how does that affect the Panthers going forward in this 2017 season? i say zero. Yeah, it's strange, but uh, it's 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 zilch. Uh, other than unless I guess unless we didn't make some important moves um, in this kind of you know have, have we filled in? Because um, see, Dave Gettleman was a scout. He was a guy that uh, he he could sit there and watch tape all day long, and that's where his his pedigree came from. He was a scout. He was a scout for the Giants for like twenty years. Yeah. So, um, but I think that Marty Hardy came in and gave Thomas D- Davis a bonus, uh, made uh, Greg Olson happy, made uh, the big cat happy, and the owner. And um, he made some. He's made the extensions we needed. He signed KK Short. Uh, I mean, like all the things are lining up. I don't think the Panthers. I think it's all going to come down to this: is that. Um, I think right now we're in a position where the GM doesn't matter that much anymore. And I didn't want to believe that 
um, when we let go of Dave Gettleman. But right now we got who we got and uh, we believe in him. And now it's, uh, I don't think it's as big as of a deal as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I have to agree. I was pissed. I was furious when they let Gettleman go because he had done so much for the team. He had really um, just changed the whole attitude and he was building toward the future and had done a good job of it. And when they, you know, they let him go so just in such a bad way. And I was just hot. But I see now that um, it, it really doesn't matter because uh, Hermes come in and done what he needed to do. And the team has moved on. The team's kept rolling. Um, I think there was more fan outrage probably than actual team outrage. Frankly, I think a lot of the team was happy Gentleman was gone because those guys knew that they were on the older side and their job security with Carolina was getting ready to come in question. So, um, really, I, I don't believe. What's that? Hey, that it happened. I'm, I messaged Tony and I said, WTH, I thought Gettleman would be there after uh, Riverboat Ron left. And so yeah. I thought that was uh, kind of fitting. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you and me both, man. You and me both thought that. All right, guys, I want to uh, take this opportunity to personally thank each and every one of you guys for taking times out of your busy schedule, especially for, like, uh, Joe Riolano at freaking Puerto Rican. Uh, <laughs> hey, Don, Carolina underscore Chronicle. Crap. At Cat underscore Chronicles, correct? Keep trying. Keep we'll take trying. care of it, man. We'll take care of it. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Joe Riolano. I am the freaking Puerto Rican. And you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Joe Riolano. And if you find him, get Tony's address from him. <laughs> my, name, my name's Tony Dunn. Uh, you can check us out at CarolinaCatChronicles.com. Every Tuesday night, we bring you the C3 Carolina Panthers podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at cat underscore chronicles. Well, it's very telling because this time last year, uh, Carolina was the team to beat. And we were really, uh, really kind of just basically battling it out with the Falcons. It was the Falcons and the Saints we were talking about being the uh, basement dwellers and who was going to uh, make it out of that that mess. And turns out Atlanta... <laughs> We Josh hadn't smiled this entire hour and a half show, and now Josh uh, is smiling. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, Good reminder. Yeah, the, the, now, now it turns out that, you know, Atlanta is a team to beat, and we can tell because look at the way that the, the podcast kind of unfolded here. We really didn't have that much to talk about with for, about Atlanta other than the Super Bowl itself because mm-hmm. the team looks loaded. It looks strong. Um, so, ready you know, look- even – yeah, it looks like they they are the team to beat. Once again, Tampa is the up and coming team. Um, so, Josh, I mean, we haven't <laughs> we haven't talked a whole lot with you tonight, but uh, let everybody know how they can follow you on uh, on social media. Oh, uh, sure. So the best way is on Facebook uh, underneath my special Facebook page, which is just Josh Schultz Pro Football Spot. Um, on Twitter as well, I'm at Draft Blackboard. So I usually do a lot of draft stuff on there, but I'm um, also some Falcons articles here and there. So 
Um, yeah. All right. All right. And well, when you base those those Falcons articles out over a period of time, it's it takes less of a hit on your site. <laughs> oh man, I'm trying to be nice. Comes back. I hey, I could have if I hadn't a shot at least once over the bow, could I? Oh, I'm just sitting here being nice, you know. I mean, hey. yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey uh, this is jokes aside, totally irrelevant. But, but Josh, you had to, you have to watch Jermaine Funny Man Johnson, don't you? Um, that when he does his how SEC players, uh, I mean how SEC fans watch the uh, week games, uh, the set, the college football games over the weekend. Have you ever heard of him? No, I haven't actually. You need to look up J- Jermaine Funny Man Johnson, I believe is how it is. Uh, he's a Bama fan, okay. so I, I guarantee you it is worth well worth the time to watch. It shows up on Facebook. Uh, he'll probably put his out. It comes around eleven o'clock about noon your time, but um, yeah, watch it because being an Alabama fan, you'll really enjoy it. it they're hilarious. They really are. They're really, really good. They so are. yes, please watch those. Uh, um, by the way, Mr. Harrison, I need to give you an update with two games <laughs> left yeah. in the fourth. It's 31 yeah, it's to 16. Yeah, it's Oklahoma. Over. Yeah, <laughs> wanted to make sure you know I, I'm your public servant, man. I, I, All right, next week's show we're going to talk about Ohio State and why <laughs> they not Urban Meyer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of Urban Meyer, but look, they lost to a top five team. Okay, let's let's, oh, yeah. let's not get crazy here. It's not like they lost to Appalachian State. Sure. Yeah, me personally, uh, being a I like the Michigan dig. I like the Michigan dig. Yeah, there you go. Years, I'm just glad to see two top 10 teams playing and in week yeah. two of the season. And, hey, I, and I like Baker Mayfield. So I'm um, happy for him. You know, he's, he's a good quarterback. Hey, college football is really uh, straightened up. They, they, uh, they, they've kind of pushed the cupcake teams uh, to the middle of the season. They, they're coming out strong with some good matchups. Um, you know, LSU, Alabama played uh, FSU uh, to start the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a tough yeah. game. Uh, I, I thought that was mini Cam Newton out there, though. It sure resembled Cam Newton, um, particularly when he got hurt. But <laughs> it resembled Cam Newton out there with Florida State. So uh, I'm, I'm enjoying and college LSU, right now. LSU schedule only has one opponent with two names, like Tennessee Chattanooga. It, it only has one team like that this year. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good – that's improvement. Let's talk about division finishes. Yeah. In the NFC South. Josh Schultz, uh, dot com covers the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, how do you see the NFC South shaking out? I mean, like I said, I think this is the best division um, in the NFL. I honestly think that it can go one of four different ways. I think every team in this division can legitimately win um, mm-hmm. and has a good chance to do so. And I think that's different than every other division in the NFL. Um, if I had to pick, um, of course, I'm going to go with the favorites because I'm biased. Uh, but, yeah, I put Atlanta at one. Um, I think the biggest threat to Atlanta <laughs> is Carolina at two uh, for a lot of reasons. Carolina's played them really well over the past few years uh, prior to last season. They have the defense and the pass rush to put pressure on Matt Ryan to slow down the offense. Um, so I think Carolina in kind of a bounce-back year, very talented team. 
um, that can do a lot on offense as well with, with Cam and run CMC and, and the big receivers and Greg Olson. Uh, if I would say third, I would put the, um, the Bucks uh, probably somewhere around, you know, eight and eight, nine and seven area. And then fourth would be the Saints, again, probably in that same area. So sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> I could see every team <laughs> in this division having a winning record or close to it. So I, I think worst, worst, maybe seven and nine at the worst. I, I just don't see a team going, you know, worse than that in this division. And, and, and Alan, how about you? <laughs> well, you know, uh, for the Saints, the defense, uh, improvement of the defense is paramount. Uh, I think we're going to see improvement. How much improvement we get will determine how well we do this year. Uh, unfortunately for Tampa Bay, I think, you know, we have to see how this hurricane really affects the franchise because if it's one of those things where, okay, they're going to have to play the, the Bears in a home game in Chicago or some neutral site, but they can come back and play the rest of their games in Tampa. I don't think it's going to have that bad of an effect, but if it's something like Katrina 2005, God forbid, you know, it's really, really going to impact that team in a negative way. So as a result, I'm kind of backing off a little bit because I usually had Tampa either the two or three team. I'm going to stick with the three right now. So I'm going to have, I think that's going to be a Super Bowl hangover a bit for the Falcons. So I'm going to have the Falcons finish too, but I, I think the battle is going to be between uh, Carolina and Atlanta at that one spot. But the Saints, that dark horse, depending on how they do in defense, where they can possibly slip in. I also agree with Josh. I don't see any team going any worse than 79. In fact, I think it's possible all – uh, four teams who finish with a winning record and still mm-hmm. not make the play, and somebody's still not making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for the sake of argument, let's just say I see Carolina at one, Saints at two, Atlanta three, but kind of like two A, and Tampa. Unfortunately, they have to finish last. But in any other division, particularly if this was the AFC South, Tampa would be finishing number one. Uh, because I still see them finishing with a winning record. Now, I'm not just saying that because David's right here. Uh, I really think, you know, this is the only division where all four teams have gone to the Super Bowl since the divisions have uh, have been created. It's the best division. Two have won. Yes. It's the best division I'm of football. Has I'm the sorry, best Josh. Quarter- <laughs> has, you owe me one. Has the best four <laughs> quarterbacks in football, Has has – at least two, if not three, of the best offenses in football. Um, it, it, it's the most competitive division in football. So that's just how I see it. I believe if you were to throw out divisions and just have an NFC and an AFC, that this year all four teams can make the playoffs from our division if there mm-hmm. weren't a division. Our teams are good enough to where we can take out four playoff spots from the NFC. I truly believe that. You know, it's real real easy for me to sit back and draw comparisons with the NFC South to the the Southeastern Conference because you have your Alabama, you have your LSU, you have your Auburn, you have your Florida. It's the same thing with the NFC South. The worst team 
is still better than the vast majority of the others in that conference. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're fine. I'm just going to give my four, and then I'm, I'm going to go. Um, so tough because we've discussed this, this division is, is talented. I'm going to lay it out, and that's going to be that. I see the Saints finishing fourth. Again, winning winning record, nine and seven at worst. Um, Bucks, it's going to be a battle for second between you and Atlanta. Um, I can easily see Atlanta or Tampa Bay winning. But, of course, I'm a Panther fan. I'm a biased Panther fan. I think Carolina has made enough moves. They've gotten the talent on offense that uh, Cam has needed desperately. And if they can stay healthy, I just think with the defense that they have and the offensive additions they've made, they're going to be able to take this division. Um, Very competitive, though. It's going to be a very competitive division. I cannot wait for us to get into division play because um, the games are going to be epic battles. I really believe that. Guys, on that note, I am going. It's 1120. It's past my bedtime. And, yeah. um, I Thank you so much for being me. a part of our show tonight, Chloe. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It was an honor and a pleasure. Josh, it was good to meet you. I'm going to look you up on uh, Twitter and follow you. Um, Thank but, you. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Um, Alan, good to see you. And Good seeing you. I want you to know you guys do a great job of carrying on the C3 Network name and bring us to the masses. We absolutely appreciate it. All right. Good night to you all. God bless. You're the founder of the feast, brother. Yes. Well, guys, guys. thank you, Joey. All right. Thank you very much. Once again, guys, thank you all for uh, participating in the show. As always, you're always welcome to come back. Uh, you know, David and Joey uh, and, jo- and Josh and Tony, uh, I'd love to get you guys to come back on the weeks that we play y'all so we can kind of uh, do a little preview of the game and what you, you know, what how the season's been unfolding for you guys so far. Um, David, last one. Um, how do you see the division playing out and um, how can people follow you on social media? Uh, so on social media, on Twitter, uh, my handle is DH82 underscore bucks on Facebook. I've got my writer's page. It's the same thing, just minus the underscore. So just DH82 bucks and you'll, you'll go to my writer's page. Uh, as far as the division is concerned, um, we're gonna make it a clean sweep with the homers taking the top spot here. But, uh, (laughs) I think, I think the Panthers come in fourth. I think, uh, Cam Newton's injury, and surgeries are more significant than the team and and, and the media are letting on. Uh, I think the secondary is worse than everybody is, is giving them credit for. I think that's going to come back and bite them in the butt. Um, I've got the Saints at number three, um, only because the beginning, the beginning of your guys' schedule is pretty rough. Uh, three out of four on the road. I think if that team goes one and three, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be kind of hard to get things back on track. Um, so that first quarter of the season is really vital uh, for mm-hmm. New Orleans. You know, if, if New Orleans can pull off a three and one, then you know this thing could go the complete opposite direction. I think best case scenario, looking at it honestly, is probably two and two. I think that Vikings game might be a little bit harder than you guys are giving it credit uh, credit for. That defense is pretty stout. Uh, um, and then uh, at, at number two, 
I've got the Falcons at number one. I've got the Buccaneers, and for very specific reasons, um, you know where the where the schedule differs. The Falcons draw the Seahawks and the Cowboys, while the Buccaneers draw the Giants uh, and the Cardinals. And I think for the Buccaneers, uh, at least one of those, if not two, uh, for the Giants Cardinals set is a win. Um, especially uh, if Odell Beckham's injury gets aggravated with him coming back so fast. Um, high ankle sprains are, are nothing to mess with, and he's coming back pretty quick. Um, the Arizona Cardinals, depending on the health of Carson Palmer, some of those defensive players, you know, Tyron Matthews back, but he's he's had problems staying on the field. So if he's out, that's definitely a winnable game for the Bucs. Uh, even with him on there, it's a winnable game. Just, again, uh, Tyron Matthews one of those guys that can take advantage of a Jameis Winston mistake pretty quick. And I just, you know, the Falcons, it's going to be hard to beat the Cowboys and Seahawks, especially back-to-back weeks with one of them being on the road up there in Washington. So I think that's really kind of where you get the separation from. And then Atlanta, you know, two out of three at at the end of the season on the road against division opponents, that's rough, while the Buccaneers get three of their last four at home. I think that's what's going to put the Buccaneers up on that is just more of a circumstantial thing than it is a talent thing. Because, again, with all you guys, I agree, the talent stacked uh, or the division stacked and. I have, I have a little bit of worry. I think, you know, the NFC South might be about to do what the SEC does to each other every year. We might just eat each other alive and uh, really do more harm to whoever does come out on top uh, uh, than we than we realize. But it's going to be a fun year yeah. either way, no matter what. I mean, it's it's one or two games from top to top to the bottom. So uh, it should be a good season. You know, it's going to be fun to watch. All right, Sean, you're the last one. How do you see it playing out? cleanup huh everybody yep. else seemed to go to the bottom to the top i'm just gonna go straight for the number one position um what happened with the draft and with the off season and with the maturation of a Jameis winston i all along during the off season that i thought that tampa was the team to beat in this uh year's race uh, I'm not really going to take a step back away from that as such, but I will say this. I do believe that personal experience, I think that what Tampa and possibly Atlanta and possibly Carolina are about to experience with, this, with these, these storms that are, are coming in can be a deal breaker. Um, I believe that they can have an adverse effect. Uh, Tampa Bay is probably going to be the dark horse and subsequently be the uh, the team to beat in the NFC South. And I say that, I, I'm not – that's not a slant at all on the Falcons. Now, uh, it's it's kind of in vogue to, uh, to hate the Falcons from – from a Saints fan perspective, but from a professional standpoint, I can tell you, um, historically speaking, you uh, the Atlanta Falcons have changed an offensive coordinator. These these pieces aren't uh, interchangeable. I believe that there's going to be some adjustments to be made. Now, just exactly how affects the team remains to be seen. I think that uh, between the Panthers and the Fal- uh excuse me, the Panthers and the Saints, they could uh, 
it out for the seller or fight it out for first place. As as everyone on this panel has iterated tonight, the uh, the competition in the NFC South is so close. Uh, you're looking at a division that division champion and the, the last place in the division could be a difference of two or three ball games. Uh, all that being said, why not? I hate to break with tradition, baby. The division uh, followed up by third place be Atlanta. Atlanta has some defensive issues that I think they're going to have to address that may cause them more problems than what a lot of people realize. So that's my order of finish. So you've got, I'm sorry, Sean, almost every time you said a team's name, your, your sound dropped out. So you have Saints, Tampa, Carolina, and Atlanta. Is that what you just yes. said? Okay. All right. Well, you know, and Josh um, should be happy. Uh, just for the record, Josh should be happy because I picked this, the Falcons last last year, and see how that turned out. <laughs> yeah. You know, so much of so much of our stuff depends on our predictions. Depends on health, like everyone said. You know, who gets the ball, who gets the breaks, uh, who stays healthy. So, um, thank you guys once again for being on the show. We went we went over time, but uh, it was worth it. And I'm sure everybody was checking out college football scores while we were doing the show, too. Uh, I know I was. Oklahoma beat Ohio State 31-16 to tonight. Boomer! <laughs> Championships aren't won in September, Sean. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Come, well, so who's uh, the number two team now? What do you guys think? Is, is Oklahoma going to jump to two, or what are you going to put Penn State there? I, I can't believe that Penn State's even in the top five. They have beaten <sighs> nobody ever in the history of ever, ever. They beat up a, a middle school from Akron last week and moved up two spots. The shame. You know, yeah, Oklahoma should take over number two, considering the margin of victory. I think so. Yeah, I, would agree. I'd agree. I, I would agree with that, too. It, but to me, it doesn't matter until they come out with the playoff seating. I mean, because, yeah, yeah. you know, that that's where it all boils down to. Uh, because too many teams right now in September beating up uh, Little Sisters of the Poor and the Lighthouse of the Blind. Uh, so, you know, kind of padding their stats right now. So, um, anyway. David oh. and Josh, I want to thank you guys both yes. for, uh, for being a part of our second annual season kickoff show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate yeah. it. It's fun as always. All right, guys. Well, good luck to everybody this weekend, Tampa, especially, even though you're not playing. I hope the city and, and all you people in Florida come out fine. Uh, I do not wish a Katrina on anybody. No one should ever wish that on anybody. And I'm really hoping that, you know, everything comes out okay, that it's just something that you can clean up and get right back to work the next day. Um but we'll see how this goes. So keep your eyes on the storm, everybody. The turn should be happening sometime tonight, early tomorrow morning, and we'll get a pretty good idea how far inland the storm goes. Um, believe it or not, the more inland the storm goes, the better it is for you because that eye stays over the water. That's not good. That yeah, means that's where it gets all the power from. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, 
Yeah, praying for Josh, the people in Tampa. Thank you, guys. Josh, for stay safe. Yeah. Yes. Take care absolutely. of that little man for us. Absolutely. Absolutely, guys. Thank you all again for joining us. Thank you all for sticking with us this extra half hour. We have fun doing this all the time. Um, we Once again, we're going to try and get all you guys back uh, as we play you during the season, kind of talk about what we've seen so far. And, of course, David, we definitely want to bring you back uh, when it gets to be draft time again uh, because you're such a good, good source for draft information. I appreciate um, it. Thank y'all for all y'all do, and good luck to your teams, except when y'all play the Saints. <laughs> Thanks. Same to you guys. Have a good night. <laughs> Take care. Thank y'all. Have a good week one.